2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Rachel
3: Weeks. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai.
2: Today, we are talking about the cards that matter to you, Commander players, in the 99 from Lost Caverns of (laughs) Ixalan.
3: I'm pretty sure that's what it's
2: called. (laughs) This one always messes me up. Lost Caverns of Ixalan, of course. This set is full of super powerful new cards.
3: Yeah, a lot of really cool stuff. They've got some really cool design things going on. Um, The set looks amazing so far. It's kind of surprising we're at the end of our coverage for it. This is our last episode.
2: Yeah. And uh, we've talked about some really exciting cards, but I I feel like doing the cards in the 99 justice is like, is a big part here. Because there's some really, really sweet new cards, including some cool stuff from your favorite creature types, uh, dinosaurs, merfolk vampires, all the best.
3: Pirates, don't forget pirates. Pirates! Yeah, of course, we're going to talk about a bunch of cards from LCI today on this episode. If you want to pick up any of those cards, just head on over to cardkingdom.com slash command. That's the best place to go to buy your magic products, singles, anything at all. You can pre-order or i guess at this time it's just regular order Mm -hmm. uh all the stuff you want for your commander decks there's a couple cards in here you're definitely going to want multiple copies of for sure because they're going to go in a a number of your different decks and of course card kingdom known for having a ginormous inventory they're going to have the cards you're looking for in the condition in the version they are a huge magic retailer that gets you all your stuff in one package that's the best part about it you uh Fill your cart with 63-plus cards. Don't go too far over 63 because you need 37 lands. And then (laughs) you hit checkout. They put it in one package. It all arrives on your doorstep in one convenient package. Uh, That's why we love Card Kingdom. Again, cardkingdom.com slash command.
2: And once those cards are in your hand, you're going to need to protect them. You can support those cards and the show by going to ultrapro.com command. Ultra Pro has the highest quality magic accessories in the business, including some really, really gorgeous uh, accessories from Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Yeah, This set has amazing Mesoamerican inspired art, and it is all over playmats and sleeves and binders. Uh, go check it out. If you are especially into these pre which are really, really exciting pre-cons that have great value in them. They have the the playmats and stuff to match. If you're building any of the face commanders, get the playmat, get the sleeves, show up to your game night, ready to roll representing your team. And you can get all of those over at ultrapro.com slash command.
3: And the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone. All kinds of cool perks for joining our community and becoming one of our patrons. We hang out Chit chat on Discord all the time. Uh, patrons get to see extra turns and game nights earlier than the general public. They get access to exclusive content that we only release for the patrons. There's also merch. There's ah, there's a lot of stuff. We try and make it <laughs> worth it uh, because those people are the you know the, our biggest supporters and one of the main reasons we're able to make our content. So again, Patreon.com/slash Command Zone if you want to support us that way. Uh, and Plus, yeah, yeah. we
2: shout out one lucky patron every single episode, and this one is dedicated to. <laughs>
3: Jared Coleman. Jared, Jared, you rock. You definitely rock. Uh, and we, we've been mentioning this recently, but uh, in case you haven't heard, we did start a TikTok recently. Yeah,
2: we're doing short form content.
3: Yeah. So we're having fun with it. It's going pretty well. Um, we are considering expanding that. So if you like TikTok, go ahead and uh, give us a follow.
2: Yeah. Follow us there. Check out the shorts right here on YouTube. Or, you know, if you're listening to this as a podcast, go to YouTube.
3: Yeah. <laughs> go to go to <laughs> there's so much text on cards now that i feel like i almost have to be on youtube watching it to even follow i know
2: along. i can't even i'm like i was listening
3: to a limited resources uh, set review for yeah we just started the other night but i keep having to rewind because i'm like what's the card do again because it's like if it's a 2-2 vigilance and when it enters it gives a target creature plus one plus one i can hold that in my head right but when you also have to craft it for three and a white with an artifact and then it flips over and becomes a 4-4 flyer that when it attacks i can't hold all that so i keep going like Okay, they're talking about this card still. What's it do? So, yeah. yeah. So, watch it on YouTube. That's the moral of that story.
2: Definitely. We're going to read some <laughs> very, very long cards today. So, listen closely. We're going to do our best. Starting, uh, oh, th- there's a lot of really good, good cards in this set, yeah. just overall. Um, the What they've been doing lately is in, in order to build, to like design more powerful cards, they've been making them super niche. There's a lot of very powerful, niche cards in this set um where they're like specifically built around plus one plus one counter deck or specifically built around merfolk or something like dinosaurs yeah we're not going to talk about a ton of those today um that doesn't mean they're great if you have a dinosaur deck take a look at all the dinosaur cards definitely pick some of those up we're going to talk about the ones that you're probably going to see the most that apply to the most decks and have the most sort of general power
3: Yeah, and uh, you don't need us to tell us, hey, put the cool vampire in your vampire deck, right? Yeah. You you don't need us to tell you that. Uh, Yeah, okay. So let's start out here. The first, oh, we should say we're going to discuss some legendary creatures, but in the context of this episode, those legendary creatures, we'll be talking about them as if they were in your 99, Mm. not as if they were your commander, which would have been uh, CZ571, episode 571, I believe, which was the most powerful commanders where we talked about cards as commanders. Okay. First card, hold that out of the way.
2: We're doing it. It's Bloodletter Aklazots. One black, black, black. So four mana altogether for a 2 4 flying vampire demon. If an opponent would lose life during your turn, they lose twice that much life instead. And a little bit of a reminder damage causes loss of life.
3: Yeah, so this will double damage, kind of, too.
2: Yeah, it doubles the results of damage. There you go, which is the point of damage often.
3: But yeah, okay, that's true. There is some semantics here.
2: Yeah, this is um this is tricky. We've never seen like a life loss doubler exactly. We've seen um what are these triggered abilities? Yeah. Like triggered effects that cause you to lose the amount of life you've already lost.
3: Or cause them to, usually. Yeah. Yes,
2: yeah. Your your opponents. <laughs> that's the idea, I suppose. <laughs> like Archfiend of Despair and Wound Reflection.
3: Yeah. Those um, are loss of life doublers in a sort of a different way though, the way they're templated. Mm. Yeah. I think effectively it won't make a ton of difference.
2: Yeah, it's one happens now and one happens at the end of turn.
3: Yeah. And now is almost... I mean, most of the time it's going to be better just because they have less of a chance to be like, okay, before end step I'm going to destroy that Wind Reflection so I don't take that double damage.
2: It is worth noting that the Blood Letter only applies on your turn. It will not double loss of life on any of your opponent's turn like the other two do. But it's four mana cheaper so we like that.
3: It is three...
2: Two mana cheaper, excuse
3: me. Yeah, it is three
2: black mana though. Uh, Yeah, that is... That's like an upside downside thing. It means business, that devotion. You can't just throw this in any three color deck. I think you need to be at least heavily black even in a three color deck at least half black
3: i would say yeah yeah Yeah. that's that's a definitely a hurdle okay how does this work exactly with damage yeah just to be clear because there's loss of life and there's damage and sometimes they're different but sometimes they're the same
2: right we often treat them like they're similar Um, i mean they are similar yeah we also treat them like they're the same but in this case like let's say you're attacking with a 4-4 lifelink the four four damage would be dealt. You would gain the four life from the lifelink, but your opponent would lose eight because the results of the damage, the loss of life is doubled.
3: The life gain is not doubled, but the loss of life is doubled. And damage right. is loss of life. Right. Loss of life is not necessarily damage always damage. damage causes loss of life. Yeah. Okay. That's a weird thing.
2: It's it's very bizarre, but um, it makes sense as uh, when you think about it as like damage. The result of damage is loss of life, right? Not uh, they are the same.
3: Okay, this makes me think of cards that drain my opponent that cause mm. loss of life often is like uh, I don't know uh, Gary Gray Merchant of Asphodel is right. like a, you know the first thing that jumps to my head now that would work though the way we want it to right
2: as far as I can tell uh, yes I verified this with a couple of people Gray Merchant of Asphodel is obviously very powerful on its own but with blood letter of Akla Zotz, we got it it is even better because when Gary enters the battlefield each opponent loses X life where X is your devotion to black let's just say you have the blood letter and you have gary
3: So that's gonna be five to each opponent
2: where yeah where x is your devotion to black which is five so you gain life equal to the life lost this Uh, way
3: so it would be five but it's 10 because of the blood letter and then because the life lost was a total of 30 you would gain 30 yeah that's pretty good. This is
2: pretty good. I mean, Gary's uh, already pretty good. So. And that's just with
3: two permanents on the battlefield, uh, right?
2: Like, when you usually when a Gary enters, you have five, six, seven devotion to black.
3: Yeah. Uh, presumably, you have your commander. There's one more, at least. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So... That's a pretty powerful interaction right there.
2: Yeah, and there's lots of things in black that do this. So it's like drain your opponents and you gain life equal to the life lost this way. Extort does that.
4: Oh, yeah. Each opponent
2: loses one, you gain three. But in this case, you'd gain, each opponent loses two, you'd gain six.
3: Wow, it makes Extort really good.
2: Yeah, for one mana, that happens.
3: That just, oh man, that's really, that uh, ratio starts to get broken.
2: Right. I mean, Exsanguinate, these are cards that are already great, just become even more lethal at like earlier, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, Extanguine yeah. already ends games all the time, so you right. can just end it earlier.
2: Yeah, because you yeah, you need less mana to actually do it. Uh, also, this applies to Kakusha the Evening Star, Dead to the Deathless, very famous black win cons in Commander are even more powerful with the blood letter on the board.
3: Uh, <laughs> this always happens when we're... Um, when we're doing these shows, where I think of something I didn't think of in mm-hmm. the notes. I guess it's kind of related to our next segment, actually. Let's go on to our next segment, and I'll throw in my sure. my original thought that just hit me right now. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't actually know how that works. Uh, okay, so there's a bunch of cards that work with this in a way that's like, hey, it instantly kills a player or the players.
2: Yeah, these are all cards that have sort of worked with uh, Wound Reflection and the Archfiend in the past, yep. but here they kill you right now. There's no moment where they, like... Get to respond between the spell Try and, and the remove the the, the the creature. Um, the best one is Blood Tribute, I think. It's four black black for a sorcery with kicker. Tap an untapped vampire you control. Oh, you have one of those.
3: Oh.
2: <laughs> Target opponent loses half his or her life rounded up. If Blood Tribute was kicked, you gain life equal to the life lost this way.
3: So double the half, which is a hole, yep. and they're and dead. And then you
2: gain their whole life total.
3: That's like the, if you want to get out of the room, you swing the bat three times, and yeah. uh, you struck out, and you're out. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Two halves make a hole. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody followed along. I'm sure they did. <laughs> okay. So yeah, any cards that say you know opponent or player loses half their life right. will instantly, they're knocked out with the blood letter.
2: Yes. I believe so, because it rounds, uh, as long as it rounds up.
3: Oh, if one of them rounds down, they might end up with like one life or something. Yeah, that's... So if they're at 17, it would do eight, and then they'd be at nine, and it would do four, so they'd be at one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: The best card with the bat is Fraying Omnipotence, which is three black, black for a sorcery. Each player loses half their life, then discards half the cards in their hand, then sacrifices half the creatures they control, round up each time. So normally that it would be like, oh no, I'm involved. But if they're all dead...
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because Blood Letter only affects opponents. Mm. So you would lose half your life, but everybody else would lose all their life. Yeah. In which case, you're sitting pretty. Pretty good. That's cool,
2: and that takes out all the players at at once. That's a very serious curve. Turn four, blood letter. Turn five, fraying omnipotent. Jeez Louise! Game.
3: Yeah, That's back no it up. ramp. Yeah, back it up with uh, uh, one of those free counter spells, and you're pretty yeah, you're much done. Done. Okay. Well, you're gonna do that at once, and then <laughs> realize that that wasn't that fun. <laughs> okay. Here's a question. That, that this is the thought that yeah, came to me that I hadn't thought about when we you know discussed this previously yeah. and worked on the outline for a number of days. If you clone the blood letter. Mm. So, if you have, like, a clone or two of the Blood Letter, it stacks, right? Yeah. Like, it would be, you know, if they're going to lose 10, they lose 20 instead of they lose 40? Yeah. Okay. So, the demire you know loss of life feels like it's that a seems, pretty good
2: that seems pretty good
3: yeah I guess you really want to be an Esper so that you can get dead to the deathless yeah <laughs> dead,
2: to, dead to the deathless I mean all you really need is Gary right? I mean and anything like the extort stuff becomes really brutal and there's a lot of black creatures that have extort on them that's
3: what yeah that's what I was thinking is yeah. bloodletter cloning extort feels yeah. like it could get out of hand really fast
2: you could even go Grixis and get heartless Hitatsugu in there and damage color loss of
3: life yeah <laughs> exactly
2: I did want to mention uh, the tree Tree of perdition is a weird old card that is a it's a plant with that's a 013 with an activated ability that says tap exchange target opponent's life total with tree of perdition's toughness.
3: So if they're at 40 mm-hmm. and you tap this and you say okay now you're at 13 and the tree of perdition is a 040.
2: The game recognizes that you've lost 27 life in that exchange and says, oh, you'll lose another 27. And it will automatically take them out of the game with the Tree of Perdition. As long as they're 26 or higher.
3: So any life total swapping, whatever the difference is from where they started and where they end up, they will consider that loss of life Mm -hmm. if it's less. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because there's other cards that kind of allow you to switch players' life totals off on your own. But yeah,
2: move things around.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's that's crazy. Okay. It's
2: pretty wild. I mean, there's a lot that you can do here. We look at it as, as sort of a traditional damage doubler, but lots of life doubling is so much more open-ended.
3: Yeah. Okay. That's very cool. Oh, so, that's, that's a pretty good first one. This Yeah,
2: this card's super powerful. Again, uh, it, those triple black is going to keep it out of some decks, but as long as you're a devotee, you'll be good. <laughs>
3: All right, the next card got a lot of chatter online when it was first previewed. Mm-hmm. It's Bone Horde Drakusar. Also, did a lot of work in the Game Nights game that we played, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, it is three red red for a five five flying first strike dinosaur dragon. Cool. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them this turn. If you exiled a land card this way, create a three one red dinosaur creature token. If you exiled a non-land card this way, create a treasure token. So you don't, it doesn't even matter if you play those cards. If you just yeah. exile those things, you just get the three one and or the token for free. Now you won't get two three ones and you won't get two treasures, right?
2: I think it. it if, if you exiled, yeah, yeah you're right. So it's not for each. What you really want is to hit a land and a non-land, then yeah. you get
3: both. Yeah. Although if you hit two non-lands, then you have two non-two spells that you have access to casting. Yeah, that's so true. That's I'm okay with good. that as well. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I first a dinosaur dragon is an awesome <laughs> creature type. It makes me think of like a like a horse donkey, like a mule. <laughs> it <laughs> you makes know? me
3: think of a horse donkey.
2: Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like some weird breeding has happened to create a dinosaur dragon. They feel I, like
3: they're related, like a horse and a donkey are so, got to be somehow yeah, related. back back they're at, both yeah. dinosaur-y yeah. and
2: slash dragony. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, that's
2: what, like a liger. I mean, he's like a he's liger. a liger.
3: He's a liger. Wow, that's a deep cut. <laughs> Give me some tots. Okay, so the, I, I think when people read this, and, and when I first saw it in play. It, it it has the same feeling, which is like, it does a lot.
2: It does a lot. It draws two cards. It could give you a treasure. It could give you a body. Plus, it's a super relevant attacker and blocker.
3: Yeah, it's got flying and first strike. It's a 5-5 five, five for five. Like, it seems pretty pushed on like all axes. Mm-hmm. So, the card's We sort of compare it to Visions of Phyrexia, Mm. which is an enchantment. Uh, Outpost Siege was like an early iteration of this. Enchantments that kind of impulse draw you one each turn. Mm. Uh, Visions of Phyrexia can give you a Power Stone. There's a saga called The Flux from Doctor Who. Uh, But these are all cards that are not creatures. And they don't really even compare in the value category as far as like, yeah, they give you access to some extra cards. One, in most cases, this Mm -hmm. is two and they don't do the like, Hey, but also I'll just throw in a treasure sometimes and a three, one sometimes.
2: You know what this card kind of reminds me of is It makes me think of, like, a primeval bounty or something, you know? Like, primeval bounty is, like, if you cast a non-creature, you get a thing. And if you cast this, you also get a thing. And if you do that, you get a thing. It's, like, waste not or something, where you're like,
3: I did stuff. What do I get again?
2: Yeah. (laughs) You get all this stuff, and you're like, that must be good. And this is different. Like, it gives you card advantage rather than, like, forcing you to do something to get the value. But I just don't know if this is how it'll – if it'll play how it feels.
3: Which – but and how does it feel?
2: Like it, it feels like it's busted. Yeah. But like if you untap with it, you're like, I'm gonna to i I've got it all now. Yeah. But like what in reality you've got a treasure, you've got a three one, I guess you've impulse drawn two cards, which is good.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's not as broken as it reads, but it is very good value. Yeah. Uh I think impulse draw is one of those things where like the more the impulse drawing two cards is better than impulse drawing one card but yeah. it's not twice as good and impulse drawing a third card would not be three times as good because at a certain point you won't be able to cast all those cards mm-hmm. so it's more selection the higher number you go so i do think two is good uh especially since oh i can play a land, i can cast a spell if that's the way it comes down but there's also downsides to impulse draws it's not the same as drawing two cards even though we kind of shorthand refer to that mm-hmm. if it's big stuff that you can't cast yet or there's two things, and they're both six drops. Maybe you can not cast; you can only cast one of them. You don't get full value. Or maybe, like, hey, I don't want to be casting a six drop this turn and just leaving my shields down, so mm. I'm just going to cast things out of my hand. So I think from that aspect, you know, if you sort of temper the, you know, the, um, the over-exaggeration, I guess, mm. then you kind of come down to, like, it's good value, but it's not as insane, maybe, as you would think. I mean, getting treasures is great. Mm-hmm. Three ones, I think, I agree with you, are fine, but, like... Unless you're in a dedicated token deck, there's going to be limited ways for you to take advantage of it. It's just going to be like that shapeshifter you get sometimes for the black market connections, right, but yeah. you don't usually yeah, specifically need Yeah, that's true. This full it.
4: send's
2: all for you. Do, yeah, you, you, get card, you get the card, you get the treasure, you. you get the thing. Oh man, it, I never thought five, of it like that. It's five mana black market connections. Never mind, I'm putting
3: this in every deck now. You have yeah. to pay any life. <laughs> 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 it's a creature so it's a little easier to remove than the enchantment version yeah. which has its, its upside too mana. it can smack people for five in the air yeah, that's and true. also like makes you very hard to attack because it's five, five first strike it
2: does so much yeah. and that the thing is like I, I look at it and I'm like where does this go for me because it's a dinosaur it's a dragon you're like I gotta put it in my dinosaur dragon decks but most of the time in those decks you're trying to slam like eight mana dragons rather than like five mana value dragons And those, but it comes out earlier
3: those decks are usually set up to like give haste double enter the battlefield mm-hmm. to, because you you know those decks naturally know like i'm trying to cast these huge things and when i finally get my eight drop out i need to do stuff now yeah and the bone horde doesn't it it comes in and then you have to untap with it and that's when you sort of get your value out mm-hmm. of it which is just not on the same strategy path as a lot of these sort of big Big mana decks are. I don't mm. think that makes it bad, but it's just, it's an interesting sort of value piece that sits in a dragon slot in your deck.
2: Right. Yeah. I, it, I'm i curious to see how it goes. I think I'm probably going to try it in dragons approach. It does a lot of the things that I'm looking for out of my dragons, which is card advantage. And like I have Galazess, so the treasure tokens yeah. are mana rocks. So maybe it'll find its place as like a mid level, like a mid game dragon there. But um, I'm curious to see how this actually feels in game if people are like oh i really got the value out of like paying a five mana to get this thing to you know get some stuff later
3: yeah to me that's the scary part is i can see on turn five having five mana or turn four or whatever
2: yeah you just don't looking wanna... at this
3: card in my hand and being like well if i cast this it's all i'm doing and then it's like cast cross fingers mm-hmm. and i have no ability to do anything else until i hopefully untap with this and if i do that's going to be great but if somebody got rid of it i'm gonna feel really bad like i like my turn five or this turn uh, I just got totally time walked. Yeah. And that's that's the tough part about this. And then if you're playing it on turn like, you know, a later turn, 8, 9, and saying like, I'm going to play this. You hope to untap with it. Yeah, the problem is you're so late in the game now that those advantages that you're getting, uh, they don't have a lot of time to accrue and pay off. It's not like Black Market Connections, which mm. you're going to play on turn you know, three and over the course of the game, it will have gotten you enough advantage to sort of justify itself. So mm. yeah, Boneheart, it sits in a weird place. I do think it's powerful, um, but there will definitely be times where you play it. It gets removed or it just happens to catch the board wipe that somebody's aiming at somebody else. Cause a lot of stuff's going on. Yeah. Uh, and then you feel kind of bad.
2: Yeah. And you're like, oof. all right, well,
3: uh, whereas if you plan. just played a card that like entered the battlefield drew you two cards right then, like just yep. a mold drifter, you would feel felt better. Cause it's like, well, it died, but I got my value. Right.
2: Interesting card. I'm curious to see where it actually winds up. Um, this next one is sort of on the other end of the spectrum. They're small. They're interactive. These next two. These yeah next two. Say. That's true. I wanted to talk about these two together because they're doing a very similar thing.
3: They're super similar. They're super similar. (laughs) As soon as you are like, we should talk about these two together. I was like, yes, we should. That's good. (laughs) Absolutely. They're they're very close.
2: It is worth talking about both of them because they're both powerful in different ways, in different decks. Uh, The first one is Dauntless Dismantler. It's one and a white for a human artificer. It's a one four. Artifacts your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. It has an activated ability that's XX white. Sacrifice the Dauntless Dismantler. Destroy each artifact with mana value X. Okay. So this card is in the main set. It's an uncommon. It only affects artifacts. Uh, And it also has this sort of board wipe thing on it. And then there's one in the vampire deck that is Charismatic Conqueror. One in a white for a vampire soldier. It's a 2-2 with vigilance. Whenever an artifact or creature enters the battlefield untapped and under an opponent's control, they may tap that permanent. If they don't, you create a 1-1 white vampire creature token with lifelink.
3: Okay. So they're both... Sort of dealing with whether your opponent's stuff comes in tapped or untapped.
2: Yeah, they're like both tempo, hate bear type things.
3: Yep. Obvious comparisons to Blind Obedience, Authority of the Consoles, Thalia, Heretic Cathar. There are differences, though. Mm -hmm. Most of those other ones, in fact, I think all those other ones do not give your opponent a choice. Yep. And then they affect different permanents. So Dauntless Dismantler only affects artifacts. Does not affect creatures, which is quite a knock because... Yeah. The good side is early in the game, mana rocks come in tapped, which is a pretty big blow to most decks that don't Mm -hmm. have green. And then later in the game, oftentimes either creatures with haste or you're just trying to get some blockers up after board wipes and removal have happened and you're, the dust is settling and you're trying to get your feet set and a lot of times you're like okay I just gotta get this creature out here so I can't be attacked and then I can kind of you know solidify my, my position here well that's where a lot of times blind obedience is super annoying mm-hmm. is cause you're like okay anything I play is tapped so that means I'm, they're gonna have a lethal attack on me and I have to deal with this in a different way.
2: It can also shut down decks that are really reliant on haste that are sneaking things into play or are the, like the blitz decks that are If they can't attack with creatures when they come in the battlefield, the deck needs to figure out a way to remove this permanent. So Dauntless Dismantler doesn't quite have that end of it. And, like, yes, it makes treasures enter tapped in the late game. That's often very relevant. Big explosive turns are reliant on on treasures these days, but it doesn't have as much utility as something like a charismatic conqueror, which applies any time any artifact or any creature under your opponent's control enter.
3: However, in that scenario, they have a choice. Yeah. So, like, let's say they've got lethal on board. I got to get a blocker out. I'm just going to let you have the vampire. Yep. Which might be good, but not if you're the one that had lethal on board and was going to be able to kill them otherwise. In that case, you'd be like, I'd rather have blind obedience. Or let's say they get a sneak attack out
2: Exactly, like the blitz deck and the sneak decks.
3: So if they get a sneak attack out and they're like, yeah, cool, have three vampires, but you're dead now Yeah, because I'm just going to pay three red, put three dragons into play and smack you right now. Whereas, again, a blind obedience would just say, you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Those are coming in tapped and you can't attack with them. Dauntless Dismantler sort of gives you this consolation prize for not affecting creatures That is, hey, there's a board wipe attached to this Mm -hmm. that you can, you know, that you can push the button on sometime. How much weight do you give that, the destroy artifacts with a mana value X or less? I mean, it's it's overcosted, right? Because you have to pay double X, you know. That's a lot. Which I don't know, would you ever want to do it? So it seems like two and less is what you're going to realistically be willing to do, sort of Vandal blasty. It does hit your stuff, so it's not exactly that. But get rid of all mana rocks.
2: I mean... I think that that carries weight. It definitely varies depending on how much it hurts you. If you're playing green and you're relying on land ramp, then blowing up all the artifacts is great. Like tapping out to really set your opponents back matters. And you can do this at instant speed. But yeah, if I'm just playing white, I'm often relying on mar- mana rocks. I probably have my own treasures. This is a tricky thing to time. I think most often this is going to get used in an inconvenient time to blow up as many treasures as possible.
3: Just one white boom.
2: Yeah. I think most of the time it's going to be like, oh, you have old knob bone. All right. You're going to make, you know, 30 treasures at the end of your combat. I'm going to blow them up right now. And you better figure out how to use an instant.
3: Yeah. Otherwise they're all gone.
2: Otherwise they're gone. So you that's can, interesting. I think that's going to be where that plays the biggest role, or maybe you're really far behind and you can clip a couple of soul rings just by paying three mana. That makes a big difference. Other than that, I really don't think blowing up all the two mana rocks is worth it.
3: Yeah, I like what you said about green, though, because with Collector Oof and, you know, a couple other things, green's pretty well poised to just be like, I'm not going to play a lot of artifacts because I just don't need them for ramp. Mm. And the upside for me is I can play cards like this and get huge advantages because somewhere in the early turns, four or five, I can set you all back two or three turns and not me And that's a pretty big game, I think, for decks that can get away with it where their strategy's not relying on very many artifacts. And this one's even targeted. If your artifact costs three or more, you don't hit it. So in some ways, it's even better than, you know, Austere Command or something like Mm. that. So I see Dauntless Dismantler being, I don't want to say hardcore or competitive, but a little more serious. It's a
2: stronger interaction
3: piece. Yeah, and when when games are sort of less loosey-goosey, this is going to be better because it does what it does. Nobody's making any choices. Whereas Charismatic Conqueror will probably be not good in those circumstances, like we said, Mm -hmm. but will be good in circumstances where people are just having fun slinging spells around. They're like, whatever. I want to do my thing, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to pay the one it's that kind of thing I'm going to let you have vampires mm-hmm. and in that, those type of games which it's sort of more laid back and casual you're likely to get a bunch of vampires but I can see in our play group here at the office the rest of the table as soon as you play Charismatic Conqueror turning to each other and saying like hey we're just going to not give them any vampires, right? Mm. And because that's annoying, we're going to also just attack them, right? And it's like, yeah, people kind of do that with Esper Sentinel or Aristic Study and things like that, so.
2: Yeah, Charismatic Conqueror has that sort of poke you in the eye problem where people are like, okay, I need, whatever is doing that, Yes, yeah, I am removing that's it. That's a good point because you
3: got to remind people, like, yeah. uh, that's tapped by the way, sorry. Yeah,
2: tapped. Or do you uh, want to tap or actually, do you, Yeah, yeah do, this is a question. This is a choice every single time. It's like, I make three treasures. How many of them do you want to come intact?
3: Yeah, do you want them to do come Do one, t- one untapped? Two tap. How many vampires do I get? I think that's how you, you
4: yeah. say it.
2: Vampire check? <laughs> do you be the vampire? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I, I agree. Dauntless Dismantler is, is a heavy interaction piece. It's a permanent based interaction where Charismatic Conqueror is more of an engine for the deck. It's like a token deck or a vampire deck.
3: Yeah, I don't see either seeing a ton of play. I think Charismatic Conqueror, ironically, will probably see a little bit more because mm-hmm. Dauntless and feels more narrow. It only hits the artifacts. So yeah. it's kind of a hoser for artifacts. And it's like, if you're doing that, then you're already sort of in a more, I'm going to say more serious, mm-hmm. you know, play group, more optimized or more, you know.
2: Even just interactive. Yeah. Oh, Okay, here we go. We are moving on to, oh, we've seen this card before. Yeah,
3: we really have. <laughs> <laughs> when I read it, I was like, wait, this is just... And then I looked up Tender Shoe Dryad and I was just. like, yeah, it's it even... Like, if you just look at the text box, they look the same. Uh-huh. Yeah. It is Illustrious Wander Glyph. It's four and a white for a 2-2 two, two Golem. It has Ascend. If you control 10 or more permanents, you get the city's blessing for the rest of the game. And Ascend will... You get it at any point, you get 10 permanents. And
2: you have it forever.
3: Yep. Once you've got it, if you go down to nine permanents, you keep uh, City's Blessing. Mm. Okay. Other artifact creatures you control get plus two, plus two, as long as you have the City's Blessing. And then at the beginning of each upkeep, each upkeep, create a 1-1 colorless gnome artifact creature token. So this is exactly Tendershoot Dryad, except it says artifact creatures and gnome artifact creatures instead of sapperlings. Yep. And it's in white. Yeah. And Tendershoot Dryad... <laughs> Is a card we see all the time.
2: It's great. I, it comes up in obviously Sapphirling decks. It comes up in token decks. This is a board in a box yep. type situation. It's like if you know the plants Avenger of Zendikar, Zendikar yep. uh, but slowly and a little bit sneakier.
3: Yeah, and uh, for less mana. Yeah. Not, I don't know if it's sneakier because it's very in your face. Okay, make a 3-3. Three, three. And then you're like, your turn. Okay, make a 3-3. Three, three. Okay, your turn. Okay, make a 3-3. Three, three. And then everyone's going, we can't let that go on for no. very long. Nope, yeah. That needs to stop.
2: Uh, otherwise, we're going to have a problem on our hands.
3: But okay. yeah, I think one of the reasons you see it so much is because you don't really need any real specific strategy for that to be good. I've seen Tender Shoe Dryads from decks that weren't even token decks, but it's like, yeah, that card's just, good on its own. You don't need a ton of synergy with it. I mean, as long as your deck wants to like attack with creatures this is going to be good.
4: Yeah,
2: it's like a teeny coma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not teeny. I guess it's one man or less. Uh, yeah, I mean, these kind of effects are very popular. Even at its, like, $14 price tag, the Tender Shoot Dryad still sees, like, is in 30-40% of most popular commander decks.
3: It's that but, expensive now, huh? Yeah,
2: I know. Chatterfang, uh, jetmir. those, it shows up in high numbers in those decks. So, I expect we're going to see a lot of illustrious Wander glyph, but there are some differences in it just making artifact creatures and mm. having a more generic buff.
4: Yeah,
3: it gives other artifact creatures you control get plus two, plus two, as long as you have the City's Blessing. I would say that's better than Tendershoot Dryad, which gives plus two, plus two only to Sapperlings. Right. And your average deck has a lot more artifact creatures than Sapperlings in it.
2: Yeah, it's also like tempered steel is an anthem mm. that just says artifact creatures get plus two plus two and that card sees some play and this is tempered steel plus it fuels tempered steel whereas like you know if there's a card that says saplings get plus two plus two that is a very niche card
3: yeah because you couldn't even play that in most token decks you'd have right. to be very saplings focused mm-hmm. yeah yeah i like that
2: so i what i like about illustrious Wanderglyph is it does all of the token stuff that we are like used to with a tender shoot dryad, but it also has additional synergies just because you're making a ton of artifacts.
3: Yeah. This is a really good point that I didn't think about, but there's a lot of decks that care about how many creatures you have. And that's a token thing, right? Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a lot of decks that care about just how many artifacts you have yeah. or where are artifacts entering the battlefield you get to do so far, tap an artifact to do this, uh, sacrifice specifically an artifact to do a thing. So illustrious Wanderglyph has more, you know, synergy, Way beyond what Tender Shoot would have in decks like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. even... There's a lot of decks that would just want a thing that just says make, you know, a piece of scrap, Mm -hmm. uh, an artifact that does nothing every turn, right? That would be interested in just, like, I just need uh, my artifact count to be high.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was desperate for that kind of stuff in my Chisgoria deck. Mm -hmm. And obviously, this can't go in a Chisgoria deck, but that kind of affinity for artifacts thing, the improvise like you get from an Inspiring Statuary. Oh, yeah. All of that comes up with this card. And of course, there's Jihiras and things that just make tokens that tap for mana that work with the tender shoot Triad. But all of that stuff is doubled because it's both an artifact and a creature token.
3: Yeah, so this can go in the token creature decks, but it can mm-hmm. also possibly go in the Artifact, Affinity for Artifact decks, you know, Reckless yeah. Fireweathers and stuff like this card. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's going to open it up. I think this will probably be, of all the cards we're going to talk about today, the card we see the most is my guess.
2: It's a ton of fun, and um, it's really uniquely good to for White because White can, like, r- has a new Artifact creature synergies, can reanimate Artifacts. Uh, better and better these days um plus white can
3: also tutor for artifacts yeah Yeah. whereas white can't really tutor for creatures so yeah that yeah i think this adds up to something that that is going to be very powerful and we're going to see a lot
2: very cool very cool this next one's a little sweet
3: a little cutie
4: a little sweet a little
2: sweet a lot sweet i don't know it's little though it's inti seneschal of the sun They just look small because they're on this huge Triceratops. I I don't
4: think
3: that's just a normal sized person. Like you just look at the Triceratops and you're like, why is this a tutu? And it's because
2: it's the person. (laughs) (laughs) This is one in red for a legendary human knight. It's a tutu. Whenever you attack, you may discard a card. When you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature. It gains trample until end of turn. Whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card until your next end step. So there's like two big parts of this. There's like this counter thing that also gives trample on a two drop, which is fine, but we're, we're probably here for the second clause.
3: Yeah, it's definitely the second clause. And the first clause is just a very sort of limited way to at least in a box, all in one package, be able for this card to work with itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's giving a reason that, okay, on this card, we'll let you be able to discard, you know, a card every turn, ostensibly, if you can attack um, to sort of get this second part. But for the most part, I think a deck uh, that's including this will have it's a lot of its own ways to discard cards, right? To get the extra value here because, right. yeah, it, it really works like Riel. Um, what was the other one we talked about? Containment Construct, mm-hmm. you know, those type of cards. Uh, yeah in that it gives you additional value for discarding cards it's not the exact same real is obviously a lot better but yeah i I would think of it in the same vein
2: yeah uh it's worth noting it says whenever you discard one or more cards exile one uh it doesn't so it doesn't work particularly well with wheels it gives you an additional card but it doesn't give you like seven additional cards
3: uh as you really want a, a number of small instances of discarding not uh, discard seven all at once kind mm-hmm. of thing yeah
2: which red loves yep. uh, obviously this is sweet with any like cathartic reunions and um, thrill of possibilities thrill of possibilities faithless looting uh, I like it with Zerzoth chaos rider oh, a yeah. lot because you're discarding and drawing all the time and like the counters make it easier for devils there's a lot going on any that cycling makes this really cards good. Cycling's real strong it's
3: basically like cycle draw two.
2: it's awesome with Faldorn dread wolf herald that has an activated ability that says one tap discard a card exile the top card of your library you may play it this turn uh, and whenever you cast a spell from exile or a land enters the battlefield under your control from exile you make a wolf so now you're turning one card into two impulse cards into, into two wolves that's sweet pretty good
3: smuggler's copter really good I like anything that makes smuggler's copter better Ugh, smuggler's such a sh-
2: fun card to play
3: yeah it's great if you've never played it you don't understand that like, just how smooth it makes your game uh, even with no backup from the discard thing and this has backup and the great thing is it's a two drop so they, they both come out early and one can inti can crew the smugglers copter to just get this going like pretty quickly yeah i like that a lot
2: when et comes down on two i do think this counter thing becomes a big problem because like commander players mm. are not prepared to block stuff so it like that early if you if you get this on two you attack discard a card you impulse draw something you're attacking with a three three next turn it's a four four you are getting a ton of advantage it doesn't it's not full smugglers copter but it does have a ton of value early and it's not a dead it, like it has a static ability late.
3: yeah and that discard a card to get the impulse draw and when i say it smooths out your game what i mean is like if you have too many lands you get rid of lands if you don't have enough lands you get lands and then mm-hmm. you never have the jimmy problem where you just don't hit your land drops and you never have a flood problem either mm-hmm. and yeah that is just very underrated and a style that i really like to have a, a lot of pieces in my deck that allow me to just kind of like Make the choice in the moment to get myself on the rails, which on the rails generally means hit my land drops.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: Another containment construct I am all in.
3: Yeah, very cool card. All right. The next one uh, also made a pretty big appearance on our Game Nights episode. It's Kite Sail larcenist Two and a blue for a 2-3 human pirate. Has flying in Ward 1. When Kitesail Larsenus enters the battlefield for each player, choose up to one other target artifact or creature that player controls. For as long as Kitesail Larsenus remains on the battlefield, the chosen permanents become treasure artifacts with tap, sacrifice this artifact, add one man of any color, and loses all other abilities.
2: It's a weird little blue grasp of fate.
3: Yeah. Kinda. Minimus containment you have down here is a card we had Mm -hmm. in white that turned a non-land permanent into a treasure. Yeah. Yeah, this gets around like indestructible because you are not destroying the thing, you are just altering what and, it yeah, is.
2: It's just something else now.
3: Transforming it, but it does effectively remove the thing. It gives them a little bit of a rebate, I guess you should mm. say. In that, like, okay, I'm gonna take away your thing. But you know, you can use it for mana, you can get a mana out of it. So Yeah, yeah. it does can't hurt that bad. We have some lovely parting gifts for you. <laughs> yeah.
2: I will say I've I've played with Minimus Containment a lot because I played a lot of Baldur's Gate Limited. Yeah. And this feels worse as a removal spell than it looks because mm. you look at it and you're like, oh, it's gone and they'll sack it for mana and whatever. And you're like, it's Dark Steel Mutation. It is not. It's, it gives them mana back and it gives them a way to sacrifice it so it's especially bad when you're trying to like remove a commander because yeah, now not. you have reduced the ca- the commander cost it 's basically a bounce, and you spent three mana to do it
3: yeah you you basically they sack the thing and that can pay for one of the two commander attacks that they're going to have to pay yeah and also yeah, one of the keys to dark seal mutation is it gets indestructible, and if they don 't have a sack outlet they can't even run it into somebody else's creature or block Mm -hmm. with it. They have trouble getting it back in the command zone where this gives a ready-made way, sack it, gets back in your command zone, you can get back on your feet. Yeah, so Kite Cell Larchness is really generally better to be used against non-commanders. But sometimes, you know, whatever, put it back in the command zone, I'm just trying to stop, slow you down.
2: Yeah, this is, I I think this is a great speed bump where it's just like, here's a problem for you to figure it out, figure out, it's like either answer this 2-2 flyer that I don't really care about. 2-3. 2-3, excuse me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> it's
3: lives the, through shock. It's, it's
2: the kite. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> it was just a sail. Yeah, and yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it, it, it <laughs> <laughs> Pirates are tutus, the kite adds a uh, little toughness there, I guess. Um, it, it just gives them sort of a side quest where you're like, all right, I'll turn your soul ring into a, into a treasure token and you yeah. can, like, figure this out. So either you can sacrifice it, use the mana, that's fine. But I think there is this sort of hope that you remove the pirate before you have to sacrifice the treasure token. So it does become sort of an emergency button and not just like any old treasure.
3: Yeah, and we saw this in the game nights episode. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, then this isn't a huge spoiler. But you know, if you don't want spoilers, then cover yours or whatever. Uh, where was this? Int- there was this interesting moment where I could destroy the kite sail larcenist, mm. but if Prof put his. Uh, commander under there I would just leave it I wouldn't destroy it mm-hmm. uh, and so he had to decide to put his commander back into the command zone um, or not or what to do with it basically before I would have to decide so it cr- they will create these little mini games and people can play that wrong and I like cards that allow my opponents to make mistakes mm-hmm. often <laughs> Trust me, I make plenty of mistakes, so my opponents get to take advantage of it on the other end, too, but mm-hmm. allow them to kind of have hope, keep it around, maybe somebody will destroy it, and therefore not just, like, bite the bullet, put the thing in the command zone, recast it. Mm-hmm. So there yeah. is there is that aspect of it where it's like, ah, I don't want to blow this treasure because what if somebody kills that kaisel of which will ha- sometimes have the effect that they don't get the even small advantage that they got back that rebate at all because they're like, well... My Avengers cards under there.
2: Yeah, I don't really want to just, like, crack it and send it to the graveyard. I want to figure out how to answer this pirate.
3: So I'll just leave it as a treasure, but then maybe the game ends and it's still a treasure, and they may as well have just got that mana at some point. Yeah. yeah.
2: The interesting thing about this card is you can turn one of your things into a treasure. Oh, yeah. That's why it says is,
3: Other Target.
2: Yeah, you can't turn the pirate into a treasure. Uh, but you could turn a stray clue token or food token or something into a little bit of mana um which is a niche case it's up to one you don't have to do that but there's also this sort of weird like I'll hide a thing under there and like make this creature not a creature there are some strange moments where I could see that being super relevant it's yeah. like you've donated something terrible and now it's a treasure.
3: Yeah, or you've got a board wipe that you're going to do at some point and you hide a card under there so that yeah. when the Kitesell of dies and I'm probably the one that's going to kill it because I'm going to board wipe, mm-hmm. that this one thing I'm sort of saving. But my, you know, your opponents might know what's going on, so just be a little careful.
2: Yeah. Neat card. Uh, and I do I do think of it as like a bump rather than like straight up removal because they will... It's, it is a little
3: squishy. It's I would compare it to Bounce as well. And yeah. uh, the way I think of Bounce is it's pretty good removal. It And what you really want removal to do or what you're really expecting it to do or what the realistic outcome is, that it slows your opponent down. It's yeah. not like, hey, this means they could never get their plan back online. Yeah. And that's what Castle Larsenis will do too.
2: Absolutely. Okay. Oh, right. We've talked about a lot of magic cards. We're going to talk about even more. But first, we have a few words from our sponsors.
5: Okay, focus. We just gotta find the right line. Okay, yeah, so if I play Scorpion Strike, then you can boost with Vengeance of Sound. Or I could play Incredible Strength and I could save Vengeance to discard later. Yes.
2: This is not magic. What are you guys playing?
5: (laughs) This is Kinfire Delve Vainglory's Grotto. It's a tactical card game where you play as adventurers descending into a dangerous lair. You use your unique skill cards to conquer challenges and reach the final boss. Yeah, it's super easy to learn, but you have to play smart to win. You gotta think about sequencing, resource management, threat assessment. It really uses a lot of your skills for magic. Yeah, the entire box was only 20 bucks, and we've gotten a lot out of it. it. Takes about an hour to play, and each game is different than the last.
2: Ooh, and look at the cards.
5: Yeah, the art is really sweet, and check out that foiling on the back. Right now, you can play with one or two people, but that's going up to four next year with an expansion.
3: It's really perfect for a commander pod, I yeah. guess. Yeah.
2: Nice. So, why doesn't Jimmy just play Coup de Gras?
5: What?
3: Oh, yeah, that's way better.
5: <laughs> Wait a minute. How did you... Getting
2: the card explains the card. <laughs>
5: Order Kinfire Delve Vainglory's Grotto right now at KinfireDelve.com and use code COMMAND10 at checkout for 10% off. Again, that's KinfireDelve.com with
3: code COMMAND10 or find it at your local game store starting November 21st.
5: Kinfire Delve Vainglory's
3: Grotto. It's a whole lot of game for just 20 bucks.
0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that download the free Angie mobile app today or visit angie.com. That's A.N.G.I. dot All
3: right, everybody, we are back. We are talking about the coolest, the most intriguing cards for the 99 from Lost Cavern- Caverns of Ixalan. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. We are on to our next card here. It is Matzalantli, the Great Door. Mm-hmm. All right. It's three mana for a legendary artifact. You can tap it to draw a card and then discard a card. So three mana for an artifact that just free loots. Sure. And then it has four and tap it, transform uh, Matzalantli, uh, the Great Door, and activate only if there are four or more permanent types among cards in your graveyard. Permanent types are artifact, battle, creature, enchantment, land, and planeswalker
2: okay
3: so as long as you've got uh the right things in yeah. your graveyard four
2: different permanent types not particularly easy to do
3: yeah not super difficult though i yeah. would say it is permanent types so there are some cards that just count types mm-hmm. Instance and sorceries won't count here but as long as you've got that it flips over and it becomes the core which is a legendary land Uh, And it has an ability to tap and add X mana of any one color, where X is the number of permanent cards in your graveyard. So that's at least least four. four. (laughs) Yeah, at least four. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) We should note, you have to tap the artifact in order to transform it, and it will transform tapped. So it will be tapped. Without untapping shenanigans uh, from other cards going on, you won't be able to activate the core the same turn you transform into it. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a big knock, because to me, my brain immediately thought of Azor's Gateway as the close analog to this, which is a card I quite like, but I realize is very glass cannony. And, you know, I've only flipped over maybe seven or eight times my whole but career. Oh, you do. Yeah. And I think I won almost all the games where it did flip over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is similar in that it is kind of a looting. It's not the exact same on Azor's Gateway, but it says form of loot. And it flips over in this thing that will create a ton of mana. Mm-hmm. Azor's Gateway flips over and you can immediately use it. Right. It is harder to flip, though.
2: Right. Because you you have to, like, excel them under the Azor's Gateway. Basically, you have to activate the Azor's Gateway, like, five times. Tough. Um,
3: Well, and it's often more because you have to have different mana value cards under there. But, yeah. Mazzalani, you can more easily set up. You can self-mill. It is also doing the looting, which is part, like, you can say, like, all I need is a Planeswalker in there. Okay, fine, I'm going to discard this Planeswalker with the mm-hmm. ability from the artifact. So it, it gives you a lot of control over it. And honestly, the core's not very good until you've got a lot of permanence in your graveyard. So you probably want to do a lot of setup before you even flip it anyway.
2: The more I think about this card, the more I've been thinking about it as, like, a seven-mana tapped land kind of because you are going to want to do most of the self mill in other ways. It's just cheaper than paying three mana to get one card in the bin. So being able to just mill this, play this and then flip it and you can flip it at instant speed and then you'll untap with the land. That feels much more natural than like playing this on three, using it as a looter, hoping it survives and then like sorcery speed flip it later because you do want to be, developing a board this doesn't really further your board in any other way so i could see this be in in like self-mill strategies that are interested in self-milling anyway specifically like built around not a super narrow type like if you're an artifact deck it's going to be pretty tough to get like the planeswalker or the battle or the enchantment even um in the graveyard so but then once you've flipped it you've got this huge very powerful tapped land that you have some use for
3: yeah. I I it it has to be a self mill deck because it won't be a big enough payoff to go through the hoops unless it taps for like, you know, around 10 or something. Yeah,
2: you don't really want it to tap for 4. You want you've invested 7 mana in it.
3: Yeah, which is a ton for basically a land. Mm-hmm. You made the point and I didn't think about this, but they can remove the artifact with the transformability on the stack. So it's not brutal. like a morph, right? How mm-hmm. like it transforms and you can't interact with it. It's a state-based action or whatever. No, this is like activate, goes on stack. Can I Does activate? it transform? Does the transform resolve? And they're like, no, nah, I'm going to naturalize Just- that thing. And you're like... Oh. Okay. So now I'm seven mana deep and nothing happened.
2: Yeah. Really, really rough.
3: Yeah. So I think, watch out for that. But I like what you said. I think this is, if you can find a spot to play it out, looting every turns pretty good. Yeah. You can get a lot of value off that. And so that can be a, a not embarrassing thing that you did in the game. And like, if you can flip it, if you can find a spot um, at some point when you have the right amount of permanence in the graveyard, then that's the upside of the card. And... I, I think if your deck operates enough at instant speed too, you can be like, uh, you're li- a little later in the game and you're just kind of leaving mana open and weighing your options. And maybe I'll sublime epiphany, but maybe I'll flip this thing if it looks pretty clear out there yeah. and you know, and then if you untap tap with the core and it's tapping for 10 plus, like you're going to win that game.
2: Uh, you better, you better have a plan. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really liked that this is sort of like the, so when the Celestis was printed, they're like, it's mm. a mana rock that incidentally loots. And we were all like, cool. And then we were like, oh, yeah. day and night, though. <laughs> the
3: day and night is just a pain in the butt. Probably not. <laughs> it's just not worth it. It's just not
2: worth the bandwidth of yeah. like remembering and making all your opponents remember. So I like that there's one that suggests uh, the Celestis without necessarily... Um, <laughs> introducing a new game
3: day and night is just like not worth it uh, yeah I, I one thing to mention here is if you have a lot of untappers in your deck this also becomes a lot better and that's where i play azure's gateway is i have a tim deck yeah has a lot of untapping going on and that's why i've flipped it a number of times is because you don't go like tap it once next turn tap it again next turn tap it again. you go tap it once tap it a second time no one's worried about it tap it tap it tap 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 it flip it <laughs> tap the land for 40 Untap it. Tap that land for forty more. I float eighty mana. People are like, "What the hell?" And it's like, "Yeah," because you didn't see it coming. Because right. I can untap things.
2: Right. You. The first couple of times they'll they'll ignore you, but if you can just race over that finish line, yep. huge, huge. Catch them unawares.
3: Catch them unawares. Okay.
2: <laughs> All right. I like this one. This is one of my favorite arts in the uh, in the set. It's O'Hare Pakpatik Deepest Epic Epoch. Excuse me. Two blue blue for a legendary creature god. It's a 4-3 with flying. Whenever you cast an instant spell from your hand, it gains rebound. Rebound, it says exile it as it resolves. At the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast it from exile without paying its mana cost. When O'Hare Pak Patik dies, return it to the battlefield, tapped and transformed under its owner's control with three time counters on it. So, like the other gods, this has a, a temple on the back. It has Tap, add blue, remove a time counter from the temple, and then two in a blue transform the temple. Activate only if it has no time counters on it and as a sorcery. Okay. Those are a lot.
3: <laughs> these cards these are so long. <laughs> yeah, it is. And this is one of the more simple ones. Yeah. yeah all these gods turn into lands on the other side. A lot mm-hmm. of the transforming is into lands. Right. Um, okay, so that first part, instance, get rebound, which is basically like you get that thing twice.
2: Which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, as long as your deck is full of proactive instants, this is great. Obviously, if your deck is full of counterspells, the the rebound doesn't do anything for you. But if you're casting Mystic Confluences and Factor Fictions and like Nexus of Fate,
3: Nexus of Fate, which is an instant
2: speed extra turn, (laughs) that's
3: uh, that's good. (laughs) That's another game you're going to (laughs) win.
2: Yeah, that seems really powerful.
3: Yeah, Uh, I think you have to look at your deck. This is obviously we're talking about it in the 99. So this is a deck you already have that exists that has 20 plus instance in it already mm-hmm. and those aren't 20 plus non counterspell instance cuz a rebounded counterspell doesn't do anything. Yeah. So that's really what you're looking for. And if your deck meets that criteria, this card is going to be a banger because it it's card advantage, but it's also like tempo and mana advantage cuz Nexus of Fate is a bad example. Yeah, That's just it's so too powerful. broken. But if you missed it, Confluence, not only did you d- sort of virtually draw a second Missed Confluence when it rebounds in, you also got the five mana to cast it, so it it gives you a ton of value. Mm. Uh, so. Any instance you cast, doubling them up, not just in the way of, like, getting the effect, but, you know, that card advantage is huge.
2: Yeah, I, I really like, like, if you're going to play this, running the counterspells that are modal, yeah. so running, uh that. like, the Mystic Confluence or Sublime Epiphany that we brought up already, or, like, a Cryptic Command, yeah. then you get to choose the modes where you still have the counterspells that you can cast as counterspells, but then you get alternate modes that are drawing cards, bouncing permanent stuff that you can use off of Rebound, uh, yeah,
3: that's a really smart way to go. It gives you still your 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 ways that blue interacts the best, which is mm-hmm. counter spells, without sort of making it so that you have a bunch of cards that don't work with this card.
2: The other cool side of this card is like obviously if you're running all these blue instants or any instants, then awesome. But this also really works well with cast from exile synergies mm. because it gives you a way to cast it from exile a- for free. So I liked mentioning like delayed blast fireball with this card because yeah. we've oh, talked geez. a lot about this card. Delayed and this blast ca- fireball. If you're not
3: playing it. So sweet. You're doing it wrong. It's so good.
2: Delay blast fireball you have to cast it from your hand in order to get this rebound so it could be a little strange there but then you get the free five one for like without paying anything so you pay three you deal the two damage to everybody and all their faces then it exiles and rebounds and casts as a five sucks
3: because i'm like okay <laughs> i don't want to play anything you get rebuilt yeah you know it's coming because you're gonna do that so what am i supposed to do yeah. Yeah, that's just brutal. <laughs> I guess I'll do n- nothing, go.
2: <laughs> it also gives you like a little bit of reward from casting from your hand and those cast from exile decks. Uh-huh. So like Vega the Watcher is a really cool deck for it, I think. That's the whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand, draw a card. That's it's that little owl from Call uh, Time.
3: Yeah, this is a cool design. I like the card. I like it a lot. It is hard to flip back over. Yeah. If um, it's your commander, which we're not talking about, but if it is... Uh, when it dies you can just put it in the command zone rather than letting it become the land but when it's in your 99 that's going to happen but i would say that like hey just a card that's four mana and does this you would play it so Mm -hmm. the fact that it turns into a land is just gravy it's ramp gets you an extra land and if it does happen to flip back into the thing that's just a bonus but you would play the card i would only play the card in a deck where i would play the card if it didn't if it just died and went to the graveyard like a normal card
2: right Yeah. yeah um but you could blink it with Ghostly Flicker, which is kind of cool.
3: That's true. If it's a land, Ghostly Flicker is pretty good for all these gods <laughs> to yeah. flip them back to flip their god side.
2: Right back front. Speaking okay. of gods. Speaking of
3: gods. And this is the most talked about card in the whole set for sure, bar mm-hmm. none. It is O'Hare Tak, Deepest Foundation. Four white white for a 6-6 six, six. legendary creature. God has vigilance. If one or more creature tokens would be created under your control, three times that many of those tokens are created instead. When Tok dies, return it to the battlefield, tapped and transformed under its owner's control. It turns into a Temple of Civilization, which is a land that taps for white, or you can pay two and a white and tap it, transform Temple of Civilization back into O'Hare Tok. You can only activate if you have attacked with three or more creatures this turn, and only as a sorcery. Triple... We are in the, I'm calling it now, we're in the yeah. era of triple. We are leaving double behind. Mm-hmm. The blood letter. We will triple no more. We're going to have triple loss of life yep. uh, replacement effect mm-hmm. soon. It's an
2: eight mana. We will
3: double no more. We will only triple. <laughs> <laughs> we're done. In Magic in the Year 2050, Parallel Lives no longer exists. There's a two and a green enchantment that says triple your tokens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean...
2: It costs less. Yeah. <laughs> about what costs less. Yeah, I mean, Nick's Blue Mansion really kicked off this era, right? Fire and Emancipation,
3: where they were sort of the lead fire. dogs. And now, yeah, yeah.
2: And, and now we are here. We are tripling tokens in white uh, for six mana. That's a lot.
3: Yeah, we're lower on this card than almost everybody else.
2: Yeah, it makes me sad because I want to be excited about the cards everybody is excited about. But I want to talk about, like... You and I aren't super high on fiery emancipation, uh, fire emancipation, or city on fire. These are no. damage triplers. Horn explanation. Like these, because these are seven mana, eight mana, six mana permanents that don't do anything when you cast them. You have to have something else going on for them to do be powerful. And at then, least
3: fiery like, emancipation, I'll say you can like then do like a then right. attack or whatever. Even then, I think most people that have it in their deck shouldn't be playing it, but at least like
2: it's like an overrun in yeah. red in in that way.
3: This one is like. Six mana, now make some tokens. Right, that's hard to do after I've spent six mana. I to spent six this. mana. Yeah, you to, didn't do the thing. Yeah, do hold, the thing. It's so you got to be like, <laughs> hold on, I will make some tokens. Just I need Just my wait. mana to come back. Yeah, I need to untap.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's so expensive, and then it asks you even more of you later. It has the displaced dinosaur problem that we were talking about, where you're like, this card is awesome, but I cast seven mana to get a dinosaur. I want to. I wish wish you would do something other than be a 7-7. It's tough to pay six mana and then do anything in Commander.
3: Yeah, and the good point about this is because the obvious comparisons to cards that are currently being played are Mondrak, the Dominus, Onoino Procession, Parallel Lives, which I already mentioned, the Mm -hmm. Doublers, right? Right. This is one step, 50% more than that, one step past that. And the question is, those cost 66% of the mana, right? Four instead of six. Mm -hmm. And how much worse are they, really? Like, is there a huge difference between me making, you know, twice as many tokens as three times? Like, if I cast a spell and it makes four tokens and I get eight, is 12 a lot better than eight? It's mm. It doesn't feel like it is. It feels like it's just both are good and both are likely to kill my opponent, and I didn't need to sort of pay the additional setup and stick my neck out even further for the O'Hare talk as I did just have a Mondrak.
2: Yeah, it's also... Easier to kill O'Hare Mondrak... O- O'Hare to talk, excuse me. Uh, O'Hare Mondrak. Yeah, that's six times. That's the year 2075. Soon. Yeah. Phyrexian <laughs> Ixalan gods. Um, it's harder to kill Anointed Procession and Mondrak because Mondrak has this indestructibility clause and, uh, and Anointed Procession uh, is an enchantment. an enchantment. So it's you're, you're sticking your neck out and you're promising something so much scarier... Yeah, it's true. And then it's not protected, yeah. right? Like, there's no ward or anything. No, nope. like, it flips into this land, which you may not, may or may not be able to flip it.
3: Yeah, it's a setup card, but the setup is more precarious, right? Than this, than the setup for the other ones. Yeah, if when you stick it, it's going to be cool, mm-hmm. but when you don't, it's going to feel worse. And there's a big difference between I wasted my turn four or my four mana on a thing, then I wasted turn six because we're at the point now in the format where somewhere around eight mana or seven mana, when people have access to that amount of mana is where game winning moves start to happen. Mm. So it is very hard to be like six mana. That's all I can do go. And I hope that not only do I untap with this, but you don't make such big moves that I'm so far behind. that I can't even win from here. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I, I almost... I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to play Commander anymore to just play a six mana thing and not leave some kind of interaction open. Yeah. It just feels like I'm more likely to lose. So I have to... Pl- so like, I have... T- the only play- time I can play a six mana thing is when I have eight mana so I can leave two mana open to be able to interact because they might kill me. But then it's like, am I really going to wait yeah. until I have eight mana to play the O'Hare Talk and then hope I untap, you know, and then at that point in the game? Yeah. yeah. it's
2: It feels so much slower. And I... I wanted to talk about this because people are really excited about this card. And I was like, where is this worth it? Like, where is six mana to make triple the tokens worth the two extra mana? And what I was thinking is if your commander makes more than one token at a time then the tripling starts to add up. Like if you, if uh, I have a Hazizan Shaper of Sand deck, mm-hmm. where if I play a desert, I make two sand warriors. If I have the doubler out, I make four and like two and four is a lot. Anointed Procession is very powerful in this deck. Yeah. But if I have a tripler out, the difference between two and six is like a very meaningful difference. That's the difference between like two jump blockers and an attacking army. So I could see that if you're making like, if you're, if your commander ETBs and makes a bunch of tokens or something like that, then the triple really does add up more than the doublers do.
3: Well, I like Azazon as an example because there's it's a non-mana way to make, make
2: tokens. tokens yeah. And that's
3: what I would look for in my commander. I don't want an ETB because I have to cast that. And there's that an, too, yeah. the likelihood I have extra mana after my six that I paid for her talk is very low. But I could see a scenario where I haven't played my land for turn. I cast O'Hare Talk and I play a desert, and now I get my six tokens, mm-hmm. and that feels like okay mm-hmm. for a turn. Because uh, if they kill O'Hare Talk, I'm still good. I got some value, right? And I can also flip it back over with the tokens that I just made, right? Whereas if it's like an ETB effect, I have to play Orotok and do the thing where we wait for the untap, which we, you know, mm-hmm. I think people know we don't like to do for good reason. So yeah, I, I think there are situations where talk is going to be good. I just think the broad application, most of the time, Annoying Procession, Mondrak are going to be better. And then you're starting to ask yourself, well, if I have access to a bunch of these, if I'm in green, I got Parallel lives, Doubling Season. We don't even really play Doubling Season anymore mm-hmm. except in Planeswalker decks because for five mana, it's not worth doubling your tokens. You can do it for cheaper. Mm-hmm. And so how many of those effects do you even want in a deck? It's not 10. It's probably not five. So does this bump out? Annoying Procession, Mondrak, Parallel Lives? Probably not. And then you're like really thinking, well, do I want another one? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the moral of the story is uh, the price tag on this card right now, I don't think is worth it. And I would advise against it. I would advise against it. Yeah.
2: It's going to do some super sweet things and there's going to be games where you're like, this card won me the game. And you're like, ask yourself if Anointed Procession would have won you the game also. Um, it's sort of the the difference in Commander between using like a hammer to hammer a nail or using a jackhammer to hammer a nail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where, you're, where you're just like, it's a little bit harder to use the jackhammer and it gets it nailed.
3: And a lot of times the jackhammer will do more damage than yeah, it will.
4: Yeah, exactly. You know? It'll it hurt you go more go, ah! often.
3: Than, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there will be games where O'Hare Talk <laughs> causes you to lose because you played it, it mm-hmm. got removed, you basically wasted that turn. Yeah, yada yada. Okay.
2: Yeah. Um.
3: I'm, we're gonna. I'm gonna get yelled at for that one. This probably. The, the type of card that people are like. Josh is no fun.
2: Yeah, you're right.
3: Yeah. Josh you're is no, no fun. fun. He doesn't listen. I can only give my true opinions of what I think the cards are.
2: <laughs> I'm excited to hear opinions of this next card. Uh, so let's get into it. It's a little bit simpler. It's pit of offerings. This is a little a- bit
3: simpler. It does what five lines one st- two
2: it has two activated abilities <laughs> it's a cave it's a land hyphen cave it says pit of offering enters the battlefield tapped when it enters exile up to three target cards from graveyards it taps to add colorless and it taps to add one mana of any of the exiled cards colors etb exile three cards from any graveyard including your own and as long as the exiled thing. Gets exiled with this, then it's mana fixing.
3: As long as it does that thing, you exile has color as well.
2: And it has color that too.
3: Yeah, because lands don't have color, and a lot of other cards. Artifacts, don't have color. yeah, yeah. You have if you Bo- exile
2: a, like a commander from the command zone. It goes to the command zone. It doesn't stand with oh, this. Yep, yeah,
3: yeah. There's that too. Who? But they would have had their commander in their graveyard, which doesn't happen that often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm assuming if you did that, they're disappointed about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, you have Bojuga next yep, to it. I
2: mean, that's that's the conversation, right? Is like. This is a tapped land that is graveyard hate. This is colorless. Right. So, I mean, the other conversation is the desert one, which I Cabanger should know. Scavenger Grounds. Scavenger Grounds. Yep. Yeah. Should know it. Have a desert deck. Told you that.
3: Scavenger Grounds gets rid of everything in all graveyards, but costs a bunch of mana.
2: It's Yeah. It's two to activate, and then you have to tap it, and yeah. you exile oh, everything.
3: Yeah. You got to sack it, too, right? Yeah. So, so it gets
2: exiled in the, oh, in right, the right, exile. Oh, right, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, those are the two comparisons yeah. that are being made with I, this card.
3: Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, Rachel's higher on this card than I am, but I understand why you're higher on it because it is graveyard hate. And we're always looking for graveyard hate that doesn't impact the rest of our deck building, right? Like Because it is, it's boring and it's not fun and, you know, there are games where it's completely useless to have cards that are just like, I do stuff to graveyards and that's all I do and you're like, That kind of feels bad because Mm. nobody cares about their graveyard this game. So this card is just doing nothing. Yeah. So when it's on a land, it feels better because, hey, I'm tapping this thing for mana. It says, you know, I had to have lands in my deck. Yeah.
2: We don't want to play lands anyway. Might as well. (laughs) Unless you're Jimmy. (laughs) Just cut a land. (laughs) Then you don't
3: have to have lands in your deck.
2: Put in your soul guide lantern. (laughs) Yeah. That's my favorite thing about this is like, I really struggle to put graveyard hate in in my decks. And I like that this is just another slot that goes into more decks because... Bajookabog goes in every black deck. Yes. This does not go in every non-black deck.
3: Great. <laughs> a bold statement, hot take.
2: <laughs> because <laughs> it's not, it, like answering three cards is not the complete exile, obviously, that Bog does. And it's a colorless land most of the time. I've seen a lot of conversations about this online where they're like, oh, it taps for all your colors. And you're like, it's not going to be likely that you're exiling relevant things from a graveyard and they're in your colors and they're in the graveyard at the time that you have to play this land. That's a lot to ask. So I think most of the time, this is either going to be a colorless land that comes in tapped, which feels terrible, or it's going to be like it taps for maybe one of your colors it comes in tapped it picks off like a couple of flashback spells and one big thing in a graveyard
3: yeah my big uh, my big issue with this card is you don't get to choose when you draw it and it'll it will be in your opening hand sometimes mm. yeah. and it'll be a, a part of your land count for your deck because if you put it in a spell slot in your deck like we recommend for like a temple of the false god, I don't think you should be doing that with this card because then you're saying, well, this is a spell as a graveyard hate spell and it's like, well, then in that case if you're counting as a spell, just put a graveyard hate spell in. Mm-hmm. So it's got to fit as one of your lands, but the problem is in your opening hand, it's for sure just a tapped waste because there's nothing in graveyards yet. And anything that's in a graveyard is a fetch land at that point because doesn't tap any which colors. doesn't give you any colors. So That's the part I don't like about it is Mm -hmm. it's a mulligan kind of in an early hand or it's going to cause you to want a mulligan. Uh, And so it does look decent, I think, when you consider the scenario where you draw it on turn five and six and you're like, okay, cool. Now there's stuff in graveyards and I know that person's likely to play in their graveyard. And I know these cards are kind of bad and I can pick off certain things, which is Mm -hmm. even better than Bog in some ways. but. And so that scenario I'll give you is, is, is really good. But I don't know that, that to me that's worth the downside of it's in my opening hand and I only have two of my three colors or, you know, I maybe only have two red and this and I'm a, I'm a red green deck. Mm-hmm. And like it's like, what am I supposed to do here? I, th- I, I feel bad about keeping this hand. I might be in trouble. Um, and this pit of offerings is just going to come down and get rid of something i don't even care about. See, the great thing about Bog is you're to- totally fine playing at turn 1 mm-hmm. as like a tapped black source and you're just like it's in my opening hand, but it i'm It is what it is. It yeah. is what it is, but it's going to help me yeah. cast my spells.
2: The so i i think we all know this is worse than Bog, but is this better than Scavenger Grounds? Yeah. Which is also a colorless land. Yeah. So my my thinking here is that I, I don't love Scavenger Grounds. I like I think it's a bit of a nuclear option. It costs you a ton of mana to like interact with your opponent's graveyards. And it's a colorless land. Like the mana base in Hazizan is a disaster because it's full of deserts. Yeah. They're all colorless. And these are three mana commander in yeah. three different colors, impossible <laughs> to fix in this deck. Because it's full of these interactive guards. Right, and but you wouldn't
3: put Pit of Offerings in the Hezezon No. Because uh, your mana's is already iffy. My,
2: it's already a mess. Yeah. So I think where I would be putting Pit of Offerings is places that I, I already put Scavenger Grounds, which is in monocolored or maybe two-colored decks.
3: So you think you just sh- straight replace it?
2: I like it better in certain ones of those decks than Scavenger Grounds because it's just free. Yeah. It doesn't cost me a big tempo hit to interact.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't play a ton of Scavenger Grounds uh, because like you said, you can't be playing in your graveyard really to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, two things I'll say in Scavenger Ground's favor, and I don't know that this, I don't know where I land on which one's better, honestly, mm-hmm. thinking about it is uh, it's untapped. Yeah. Which is a big deal. That's a big I, deal. I, I don't like to have more than five or six lands and zero, if I can help it, uh, that come in to play tapped at all in the next. Mm-hmm. Cause you just find, uh, you know, lots of games where you're just trying to hit your land drops and you're like, I need any land. And then you draw the tap land and you're like, okay, play it tapped. And now yes. I just have to pass the turn. Yeah. yeah and then, I happened today. Yeah. Uh, So there's that. And then also, there is a threat of activation on Scavenger Grounds that I find to be useful in that people playing with their graveyards, they know you've got it. If you have the mana up, they can't go to make the move. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to use it. You just have to have the ability to use it. Mm -hmm. And I think this works better for me because I do play a lot of reactive decks that are just holding their mana open and making decisions, you know, at instant speed. So, you know, I I know your style is definitely more like put a bunch of stuff out and, you know, use my mana now. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I can see... And how does that line up with Pit of Offerings, which admittedly is more pinpoint. It's more tactical. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think both of them are not Bajookabog. <laughs> They're not Bajookabog,
2: that's for sure. It's um, it's tricky. I wish, like, I wonder if three is enough.
5: to yeah, was to like five?
2: Yeah. Like, I, I wonder if it meaningfully uh, interrupts graveyard decks enough. Because, like, the big thing about graveyard decks is that they have all of this selection, right? And yeah. you're trying to be like, no selection. Yeah. And if you're like, all right, I'll take your three best options, they still have their like fourth through tenth best option, which is pretty good.
3: Yeah. Even bojukabog you know, I've played in games where I, bogged somebody a graveyard deck and they managed to get going again and still Mm -hmm. win yeah Uh, which i like about bog i don't like the ones that just perpetually make turn your rest
2: in peace and stuff yeah yeah
3: yeah that those are a little too mean but i like like okay boom you've got nothing start over it'll Mm -hmm. take you a turn or two but you can get back in this thing and hopefully i can win by the time you do that Mm -hmm. so pit of offerings could if it's only three it might not even affect them at all yeah yeah it's it's hard. I don't know. I'm gonna have to see it in play. I think my inclination is probably not to play it until I see you do cool things with it. Yeah, yeah like we'll okay, see. it's better than thought. <laughs> yeah,
2: I thought. Yeah, I I like the idea of it just picking off some flashback spells and just being like an incidental interactive piece. But I I agree. There's gonna be some hands that I'm absolutely screaming at. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see. Uh, if you play Pit of Offerings, please let us know. I'm very curious about it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you, you, we need to see it played enough that we have like an average case in our head of like, most mm-hmm. of the time I see it, it yeah, it's relevant. Yeah. Or if most of the time I see it, eh, it doesn't really do anything, then it's like not worth it. Yeah. All right, the next one is interesting. It is. Drawing some uh, highfalutin comparisons. It's Redemption Choir. Two white-white for a 3-3 vampire cleric with lifelink. It has coven when Redemption Choir enters the battlefield or attacks. If you control three or more creatures with different powers, return target permanent card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Permanent card. So the uh, highfalutin comparison is sun titan sun titan
2: (laughs) i mean that is the text of sun titan right like it's etb it's attack that's it it just has that little word in italics (laughs) that coven that makes it a little different
3: (laughs) yeah we'll talk about the coven of it all because it is definitely a hurdle but yeah this is a you know on the surface a possible four mana get the same effect as this six mana thing Mm mm-hmm
2: this beloved, powerful thing in Commander. And I mean, we've talked so much about the difference between the four mana Anointed Procession and the six mana O'Hare Talk. Yep and
3: this is in the reverse this right? is it yeah
2: like this is the four mana sun titan that we're being offered here
3: this is our three mana parallel lives in the year 2057
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's when they go back to doubling after the but tripling worth. yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of big differences between redemption choir and sun titan of course it is only a three three so it's not as formidable as of an attacker it doesn't have those free attacks that sun titan can get sometimes if it does not need removal immediately. <laughs> I was going to say, how many
3: times have you even seen a sun titan attack? It happens, I've but it's rare. With it but it's rare
2: if I have grief.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you're right. Six six is a lot bigger mm-hmm. than three three. So if it's your attack step and sun titan can attack, you can find somebody to swing at where it's safe. Yeah, a three three maybe not, but you might not care. Like whatever, trade it, chump attack or whatever. I get another thing. Yeah, might I mean, be worth it.
2: And it's four mana, so you can cast this, and you can hold up interaction. You could remove, so like one of their double blockers. Yeah. You could bounce something like this. G- leaves you a little bit more flexible than Sun Titan does, which is like paying six mana to cast a Sun Titan just to get one fetch land back. You're like, well, no, not my best use of four mana. Yeah,
3: <laughs> but if I untap with it, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna get a second fetch land. <laughs> <laughs> That is one thing I really like about Redemption Choir because Sun Titan, it's too late in the game generally for the Mm -hmm. fetch land part to matter, but this feels like it could be used legitimately as ramp to get a fetch land or just a land you've discarded in some other way uh, back onto the battlefield. And this sneaky white ramp that we talk about a lot is a way for... There's enough now to keep up with green decks almost Mm -hmm. um, if you sort of play your cards right. So I do like that aspect of it. The, The question sort of becomes how hard is it to get Coven? Because without Coven... It's a four-mana, three-three lifelink. That's it. Not good. But that's a very possible thing to happen. Because the whole point of being less mana is you can play it earlier, but playing it earlier is in contention with the fact that it is harder to have three creatures with different powers. Well, this counts as one of them, so you could have two other creatures. But still, turn four, you have to have two other creatures with different powers to get the ETB at all.
2: Probably, like, zero, one, or two, right? Like before four, it's going to be very difficult for you to have any other power that is not three. (laughs) And it's like even in my decks, which are very creature dedicated and are like play aggressive creatures to wear equipment to like get moving. It's going to be tough to hit on four. Yeah. It's like I'll probably have two on four. But the fact that it doesn't do anything on ETB if you don't have four creatures means that I'm probably not playing this on curve most of the time. Because, like, I'll play, you know, my Selfless Spirit or something that's like the 2-1 yeah. flyer. And that'll be great. If I have my commander that's maybe a 4-4 or makes 1-1 tokens, then we're getting going maybe maybe 5, you know?
3: How much of a disaster is it to play this on 4 and then the next turn play a creature that gets you up to Coven so you attack mm-hmm. on, you know, your fourth or fifth turn and get the attack trigger at least but you didn't get the ETB do you think that is like a use case where this card wasn't worth playing or do you think that's still acceptable
4: I think that's
2: still acceptable most of the time I don't think this is gonna flag as scary as Untitan, which is funny but because it's Sun Titan, but, yeah. but four mana. But Sun
3: Titan says, Sun Titan!
2: Exactly. That's the thing is he has this big golden yeah. shield.
3: You're like, we got to kill that guy. You got to yeah. kill that. That's got to be
2: really good. <laughs> this is a choir. Genuinely, I think people remove Sun Titans way too fast yeah. these days. Yeah. Um,
3: but the- At <laughs> yeah. least ask what's in the graveyard before you... Yeah, rec- yeah
2: just relax. <laughs> all right? I've had my Sun Titan removed immediately. And you're like, damn, a gold spam dragon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the fact that it gives you it doesn't flag as much because people aren't going to know what the card is for a little while and that it's just smaller. It's not going to hit you super hard means that you might be able to be like, Hey, will you take three so I can ramp this land and I'll use spend my card and remove that thing. Like you can probably bargain through attacks better than like, Hey, will you let me hit hit you with my sun Titan?
3: (laughs) I feel like most games, a three, three attacking, uh, you know, a, a four mana 3-3 attacking sort of as early as it could, you'll be able to find one player. Yeah, it's an
2: inconvenient block at the very most. Yeah,
3: they might have their commander out, but
2: you You can threaten
3: to trade with it and they're not going to do that. So, yeah. yeah. I I think, I like what you said there and I think I was thinking about the card wrong because in my brain, I wanted to get the ramp out of it and Mm -hmm. the ramp's only good early so my brain was saying like, oh, in order to, to optimize this, I have to play it on curve and in order to play it on curve, I have to have coven on curve uh, to get the land so that I can do what I want. And Mm. that's then when you do that calculation, like that's not really possible. I mean, there are scenarios like if you had partner commanders that just happen to have the right things Mm -hmm. and you can sort of guarantee or even one commander that's like a low drop that gives you like one of the slots. And then, you know, your deck is chock full of creatures, you know, that are two drops with, you know, your commanders, one power or two power, and you have a bunch of zero or one power things Or maybe even some, I don't even know how you'd get four. You'd have to have like weird four twos. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem possible. It is very hard once you start breaking it down. Anyway, I like what you said in that I think if I just switch it in my head and say, oh, no, 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 I would play this in a spot where I would play Sun Titan. So later on in the game, I'm thinking turn six or seven Mm -hmm. to get some kind of advantage. Maybe it's a land, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's, you know, a three CMC thing. So I'm really getting good value out of this, right? I pay four, I get a three thing so I get seven mana worth of stuff and the upside being I'm not vulnerable in the way oh, we were talking about with O'Hara talk I have my two or three mana up so I had a good turn a good productive turn I added to my board I'm threatening next turn to get another thing back even mm-hmm. I brought something important back and I'm holding up interaction to make sure that your turn is not disastrous for me or somebody's turn isn't uh so I didn't just totally shields down so I think that play pattern actually does make me like this card quite a bit better. With the caveat that you have to have 25 creatures in your deck to play this thing, yeah. right? Or, or your commander like has a certain power and makes tokens of a certain power and is or your partner commanders you're guaranteed to get covenant. the coven
2: is not a non-issue you, yeah. you need to really reckon with that and figure out how you're going to get there that being said i do think this is awesome in blink decks and should replace uh, sun, T- sun titan in every single blink uh, deck right away sweet.
3: yeah because it, because it comes down earlier it comes down
2: earlier you can like you still get the etbs you and know blink you're decks gonna have, have a lot creatures, of creatures yep. and you want that mana open for blink activations and all of that so i think that's where we're going to see the most of redemption choir mm,
3: like um
2: that. don't place your sun titans just yet but take a look
3: Sun Titan will be so sad if
2: I'm never cutting Sun Titan. That's my boy. <laughs> He's so fun. I like. I can. I joke about it being like not that powerful, and it is my favorite thing in the world. It's to still powerful. Commander. Yeah, it's so good. there's a
3: reason it still po- sees a lot of yeah. play. Yeah. All right, you want to read the next one?
2: Yeah, this next one's a little bit more narrow, but we wanted to mention it. It's Ripples of Potential. One in a blue for an instant. Proliferate, then choose any number of permanents you control that had a counter put on them this way. Those permanents phase out. Obviously, this is really powerful in plus one, plus one counter decks. If your creatures have counters on them, this card's great. Um, but I wanted to mention it because there's some super cool applications in Planeswalker decks in Super yeah. Friends decks.
3: This, I didn't think of this because I was like, all right, one-on-one counters. There's a lot of ways to add a lot of one one counters. Yeah, like
2: you, Heroic Intervention. We've heard of that. And this. those
3: are mostly in green and white, uh. and this is in blue. So, like, I was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, if you meet the criteria, and you'll know because you'll be like, am I pointing counters on all my stuff? Okay, fine. I can play NMI in blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I didn't think about super friends. Yeah, it says
2: permanence. And a
3: permanence you control. That feels uh, really good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: if you have three planeswalkers and you're, like one of your opponents finally finds an attack and is like, all right, I'm going to send two creatures, one at this, one at that, one at this, and you face <laughs> them out.
3: <laughs> it's the worst. They wasted their whole attack. They hit nothing. You don't take any damage. And your stuff got more loyalty counters and is definitely going to live till the next turn.
2: <laughs> yeah
3: it's really good
2: it protects against cyclonic rift which is pretty wild yep because it phases them out like there's no way to protect planeswalkers other than i guess the the white one that phases out target permanents yep yep like that's the only one i can think of
3: yeah and fogs will kind of do it, but only against attacks right. won't work against cyclonic rifts and things like that or destroy all non permanent type of things mm-hmm. yeah this is when you said planeswalkers, i was like oh crap this is a must include now in mm-hmm. any super friends deck that has blue i think yeah because you want the proliferate already yeah, the proliferate
2: is like if you played this, this two mana proliferate is already super powerful.
3: Yeah, you might be fine. Just like, uh, I don't even have to protect my stuff, but end step before my turn, I'm going to do this just to get the counters. Mm. And then uh, and now it's my untap and my next turn, and I'm going to go off. Yeah. You know, yeah.
2: So cool. Uh, going to be really, really powerful in those decks. All right. All right this up. is
3: another big one that's getting a lot of buzz. Mm hmm. It's like it's a movie that people, that's been announced that it's getting a lot of buzz. A lot of, uh... Yeah, everyone of, in town's talking about it.
2: <laughs> I was going to say Oscar buzz, but I couldn't yeah. think of like a, they're going to win a commandy. A commandy. <laughs> going to do the commandy
3: award. Let's <laughs> not talk about it. I hate award shows. Okay. <laughs> it's called Roaming Throne. It is four mana for an artifact creature golem. It's a four, four. It has ward two. As Roaming Throne enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Roaming throne is the chosen type in addition to its other types. If a triggered ability of another creature you control of the chosen type triggers, it triggers an additional time.
2: Oh, another doubler.
3: Yeah. We're so still tr- doubling. We're still doubling. We're still, n- listen, uh, roaming triple throne is coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, So triggered abilities are things that say, uh, when, whenever, and at. Yes. So at the beginning of your end step, that's a triggered ability. Whenever you do, you attack, that's a triggered ability. Mm-hmm. When it
2: enters the battlefield.
3: That's a triggered ability. So mm-hmm. this will, it's Uh That's just the card that comes to mind the most for me when we're doubling some kind of trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just in its application specific to is the thing that's triggering the c- the creature type that I've chosen.
2: Right. So this is super interesting. Um. The first question is like of course this is going in creature type decks this is going in like the new Is it? I mean th- that's the question is like you look at it and you're like well I have a merfolk deck it's yeah. got to go in my merfolk deck and then you flip through your merfolk deck and you're like how many triggered abilities do I actually How many
3: triggered abilities are in this deck yeah in
2: my merfolk deck and do I want a four mana artifact gumming up the works
3: So um, Rachel did a lot of research I did, I did a lot and a counting. lot of math Yep to go through the popular um, different creature types and sort of look at the numbers, the percentages of them that have triggered abilities
4: mm-hmm.
3: all right so you want to start with dragon
2: yeah i was i looked on eda trek all of this data comes from eda trek and i l- went to the dragon typele page and counted all uh oh well i guess that's the first one i counted the top 20 dragons in dragon decks that have triggered abilities so i looked at the top 20 dragons that show up and was like this one does this one doesn't and 75 percent of the top 20 dragons in dragon decks have triggered abilities You counted
3: those by hand? Yeah, one, two... Then how do we get the number for all dragons? After abilities, too?
2: I went to Scryfall. Yeah, I was say. <laughs> uh, so this number is a little bit murkier uh, because I went to Scryfall. I searched type dragon and I searched for when, whenever, and at. Yeah, and got the number of cards that showed up versus the number of oh, dragon interesting. cards.
3: But at is like a word that could be in a sentence in some other place or something. It's
2: it's like I, I searched at the beginning. I think is uh-huh. is how I phrased it because that's normally how they write um, at triggers. So it's a little bit weirder, and it also includes triggered abilities that, if they are doubled, aren't necessarily doing anything. Like whenever a dragon attacks, it gains double strike. Right. Like we're you, not we're not twice,
3: assessing the usefulness of the trigger. Right. Yeah.
2: Uh, so this and this says seventy two percent of all dragons in Magic have some sort of triggered ability.
3: So those two numbers are pretty close.
2: Pretty close. Um, and and sort of back each other up yeah. to show that like most dragons have triggered abilities.
3: Makes sense because they tend to design, they're high mana cost cards and they mm-hmm. tend to design that way now where it's like, hey, listen, you're gonna pay six or seven mana. We'll give you something yeah. right away. An
2: attack trigger, damage yeah. trigger, ETB, something like that. Uh, and then the next thing I did is I went to the top 10 drag, like dedicated dragon commanders and said w- how many of these have triggered abilities. And of the top 10, 50% of them have triggered abilities.
3: Okay, so less than the average amount of dragons have. Right.
2: These okay. are, yeah. These are also, I counted only the dragons that have triggered abilities. Right. Because sometimes they're like, this is my human, but it has dragon deck or something.
3: Gotcha. So, okay. So, we, th- an interesting thing is when uh, discussing breaking down these numbers, we'd posited the theory that we thought elves would have less triggered abilities than mm-hmm. other creature types because elves tend to tap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and have activated abilities. And it's interesting because we were right about that. We and were I felt so good smart. About it. Yes. So 50% of all elves have triggered abilities. Only 50%. Mm-hmm. 55% of the top 20 elves have triggered triggered abilities. And 60% of the top 10 elf commanders have triggered abilities. So it does sort of steadily go up. But mm-hmm. it is still low on the low side when compared to dragons. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting.
2: I... The other thing is like elves tend to be a more nimble creature type. They're like cheaper and want to have a lot of them. So it feels like having this four mana one in there just that only works for half your elves doesn't do a whole lot.
3: Yeah, I I think that is the outcome of seeing these numbers is you don't want Roaming Throne in an elf deck.
2: Yeah. What about Uh, zombies though? Zombies, 53% of all zombies have triggered abilities. Low. 60% of the top 20 dragons, excuse me, of the top 20 zombies in zombie decks have triggered abilities. And 70% of the top 20 zombie commanders have triggered abilities. Interesting.
3: It, it yeah. goes in like, I was like, oh no, you don't. And then, oh, well, I'll, if you're, cause if your commander has a triggered ability,
2: it makes this very good. Yeah. And it's interesting because like commander design is really built around triggered abilities. So many commanders are yeah. like, when you do this, you get, a you get this. That. Yep. Um, so I think the fact that this percentage is higher in the commander slot makes a lot of sense. Um, it does make me think that, like, if you have a zombie commander that has a triggered ability,
3: maybe you then, play may- then
2: maybe you look at at Roaming Throne.
3: Okay. Uh, the last two are vampire and human. Vampire is 65% of all vampires' triggered abilities, 70% of the top 20 vampires in vampire decks, and 70% of the top 10 vampire commanders. So solid and pr- actually pretty high. Yeah. Uh, human is 52% of all humans. 60% of the top 20 and 90% of the human commanders, the uh, top 10 human commanders.
2: Yeah. That's nine out of the 10. That's crazy. That's the <laughs> highest like number we Katilda saw or something.
3: So it feels to me like just looking at that and then we didn't break down every single mm. creature type, you know, sorry, merfolk. Uh, sorry, pirates. Um, Of this list, Elf is a for sure no. Mm -hmm. Zombies a maybe. And everything else seems like, uh, possible.
2: Maybe you look at it. It really depends on how your deck works. Like, if you're relying on sacrificing zombies to get dies triggers to replay them to get ETB triggers, then this card is great and does exactly what your zombie deck wants to do. Yeah. If you're trying to accrue a huge zombie army and just, like, attack with a ton of token zombies, then probably not.
3: Right, interesting. I would say if you're commander doesn't have a triggered ability then we're back to the numbers we talk about was somewhere mm-hmm. in the realm of, realm of like 20 to 25 cards in your or sorry of that creature type have mm-hmm. to have a triggered ability for you to consider this but if your commander does it maybe you only need 5 to 10 other cards in your deck to have a triggered ability to make this worth it again in the uh, right creature type and in fact depending on the commander it could be that your commander is really the only card with that creature type uh, but still, *Roaming Throne* is worth playing because the triggered abilities are so key to your strategy, and you know doubling them is so worth it.
2: Yeah, I mean that was what I was looking at is I, then I went straight to the top 100 commanders on EDA Trek and was like, okay, which of these w- should look at roaming throne just yeah. based on their own powerful triggered abilities. And a couple that come up early, I think are you think of are, f- are fairly obvious, like Yuriko, this seems wild because <laughs> it doubles all of your ninja triggers. It doubles. And it that. doubles time yeah. 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 So, uh and that's based on like a lot of based on combat damage and there's a lot there. But if you're just looking at like pure powerful triggered abilities, it's like, does this go in a Kalia deck? Doubles Kalia's attack trigger.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you untap with Kalia and then play this.
2: That's a problem. Somebody's yeah. taking a lot of damage right now.
3: Yeah. Is that worth it? It's hard
2: to say. Like, do you run Ishin in in Kalia that doubles your attack triggers? Yeah. I don't know.
3: I don't think you do.
2: Probably not. Like it's already tough to have something in play. Yeah. So we were like, okay, which ones? Which ones are the are the most impactful triggers to double? Like, what are the commanders that we are slamming this into?
3: Yeah. As you look look at like the top, you know, commanders on EDH rec and decide sort of would I play Roaming Throne in that? I was trying to decipher why my answer would be yes or no. Mm -hmm. And I think the specifics of the trigger sort of mattered. I I was much more likely to think it was good if the play pattern suggested that I could play this Roaming Throne the turn after or – after my commander was out mm-hmm. and my commander could then do the thing immediately. So it felt good in like Magda where it was like, okay, play Roaming Throne, name dwarves, attack with my dwarves, get the extra treasure. I've gotten it mm-hmm. and I don't need to like play this and wait. Uh, Keenan, I thought was pretty good because it's like, play this. Now my stuff that, my mana dorks and stuff, tap for, and probably just make Roaming Throne free. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the four mana I paid for it it returns that mana with the extra mana it gives me off of Kenan's, uh triggered ability. Uh, Finn the Fanbearer was another one. Which this was, is a
2: sweet option.
3: Yeah, whenever a, uh, a creature you control with death touch deals combat band damage to a player, that player gets two poison counters. So you uh, play... players
2: individually so they yeah. get four per creature that hit?
3: Yeah, so if you have two, but even if you just have Finn, you're like, boom, play this, you get four poison counters right now. Mm-hmm. And that, those all felt like good situations as opposed to ones where I didn't like it which were things where I was like, hey, I was gonna have to play this after my commander's out and then do something else to really get the value. So, um, light pause was one where I felt it felt kind of bad mm-hmm. because okay, I gotta play this, name Fox or Advisor, <laughs> and then get an aura into play. And that felt like a, that extra hurdle made it a lot worse. Tulane was another one where it's like, okay, I'm gonna name I believe Tulane's a human mm-hmm. and or druid, and then I gotta cast a creature to get the double, and I didn't wanna that felt like uh, that's not really likely. That's not. That's not. Right. You know. Then I'm in the O'Hara talk situation where I'm like, play this thing, does nothing. Hope I untap.
2: Yeah, and it, in both of those decks, um, you just sort of want another cheap creature. You just want another cheap like aura it you can keep moving faster i'd rather just one cast a creature with just two lane. another one yeah, yeah just uh you get all the value i mean obviously you get the ca- value from casting this because yeah. two lane gives you the, that value that's true, but, that's true. <laughs> but you'd rather cast a two mana one so you can cast another, another one two. mana one yeah
3: exactly i um, wanted to have an etb i cast a cheap creature with an etb right. get the extra draw yeah uh
2: the other s- section that you mentioned that you started saying yes was when triggered abilities showed up multiple times on a card
3: yeah so we have cards now commanders that have two triggered abilities on them very like, two different ones
2: like <laughs> starting with prosper Tomebound bound oh, yeah. w- at the beginning of your end step exile a card whenever you play a card from exile create a treasure token so now you're exiling two, two cards, cards at end of turn okay. and you're making two treasures for every one you cast
3: yeah that's... that seems good yeah, because I double the value of the doubling, right? So that's yeah, that seems sweet. I thought Marin of Clan Neltoth was a really good I love one, this right? One. Like I play it, and then I have something that sacks itself. I have a Secure Tribe Elder, and I go, cool. Name Shaman, name Human, whatever. I sack my secured Tribe Elder. I put two counters on Marin and now I get two creatures out of my graveyard. Now that's Nero's really, really pie in the sky because I don't have to have two creatures in there. But mm-hmm. you know, just the ability to get double means that Roaming Throne when you. Get it on turn six, seven, eight is represents more value than it will in like two late or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really. I think Roman Thorn is going to get played a lot based yeah. on this conversation, which is like, okay, well, creature type matters deck. Yes, going yeah. played in a Very bunch popular. of those. Wait, oh, and just a bunch of individual commanders also
4: will Very play this. Very popular. Yeah, yeah.
2: I wanted to mention backgrounds because there are backgrounds that give your commander triggered abilities. So you could, even if your commander already ha- only has one triggered ability, if you run a bunch of backgrounds or if you have a background in the command zone, then you start stacking them. Mm. Like the Passion Ar- Archaeologist is one we mention all the time, but it says whenever you cast a spell from exile this creature deals damage equal to that spells mana value to target opponent so now this becomes a damage doubler Doubles in addition to whatever commander uh triggered abilities it naturally has or like guild artisan it says if you attack a player that has the most life total you make two treasures now you're making four, four. and like that just paid those, for the yeah, throne yeah now you have all your mana back so if you are running a ton of backgrounds or you're really like suiting up one commander with equipments which often add Triggered abilities, uh, to commanders, like all of the sort of this and that's, or triggered abilities, those are doubled. There's a lot of places where this chair starts showing up. <laughs> we got a real Game of Thrones.
3: Yeah, I do think people are going to play it in a lot of situations where I don't think it's going to... Like, not that it'll never work out for you, but I don't think it's going to be optimal or as good. And I, I, I like to think of cards as, like, are they setups or are they payoffs? Mm. And this is a setup card. Um, it pays you off for what you're going to do subsequently after it's out. And if your commander fits that bill too much uh i think you generally don't want to set up and then set up again especially big scary commanders that are often very powerful mm-hmm. uh joda the unifier is one where like yeah you could play this name human and then whenever you cast a legendary spell you know really go off Cascade twice but and- joda's already like you do that and it's already so impactful and so powerful that you're just you don't want to First of all, you don't want to play this before you play Joda because they're already hyper-focused on Joda. And now, if you play Roaming Throne and say Human and Joda's not out, they're like, you're playing Joda next turn. We're all holding up our removal mm-hmm. spell because we cannot allow that to happen twice. But then if you go Joda and then play this... Why did you do that? You need to cast a legendary spell. To trigger get, Joda. Go. Yeah, you you set, have Joda. <laughs> you untapped with Joda with enough... You know, you have four mana. You should be casting a legendary thing and getting the payoff for having Joda out. You don't set up again. That's like doubling down on your bet, and that's how you lose all your money. Mm-hmm. Trust me, because I've been to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about Miriam, and we have a little bit of a, a disagreement here, because I think it's similar to Joda, where I think Miriam is so powerful and generally one trigger with Miriam is enough to set you up for the win like I, I've been a Miriam deck like twice in my whole life
2: it's so powerful yeah. it's wild <laughs>
3: even though you know it's powerful and you're like I'm just gonna kill it when it comes out I'm ready and you do that I then... mulligan to swords yeah exactly And Make then three mana for the swords <laughs> yeah and then they cast it again and you're like okay uh, this, by the third mm-hmm. time it sticks and they still win and you're yeah. like all I did was care about that card and I still lost to it <laughs> um, so to me The Roaming Throne is not needed and is just a, yes, it's a force multiplier, but for a thing that you don't need. You should just be casting the dragon. That's the scary thing that's going to kill you rather than another setup piece. But to be fair, your Roaming Throne technically will be a dragon and will get doubled by Miriam. So Mm -hmm. which means that you will... Have three? Yeah. Get two extra... Plus the extra yeah. the next time you cast a dragon. But that just feels and like. And also,
2: your deck is full of dragons.
3: Yeah. It's just so. Feels the like... next
2: dragon you cast. <laughs> yeah. It's, just... <laughs> it, it's definitely a win more card in Miram. Yeah. But because the deck is already so dragon focused, it's a second copy of Miram. It will be very That cool. can also make a ton of copies. Sure. It means that you're just like, even if you cast this early and they're like, okay, Miram's coming. We're ready for Miram. Then, like. You still have the issue of the ward where if they answer Mirim, you cast Miram again. Why does Mirim this thing, ward? It's so ridiculous. So <laughs>
3: yeah. You know what this card needs? Protection.
2: He's already so busted.
3: I guess if you ever stuck it and you made two of it. Yeah. And then they... Then they the If they don't have a ward wipe, they're like, well, I guess we kill Miram And you're like, cool, but I have two Roaming Thrones that say dragon. So I'll just cast a dragon and get whatever that yeah. ETB Old is. Old now like makes a three four
2: zillion treasures. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, It just does what the deck is already doing, and it becomes a, a force multiplier for Miram, which is, uh, you know, she doesn't necessarily need, but if we're playing dragons, we're going over the top yeah, anyway. Yeah, I guess
3: so. I don't like to draw that much attention to myself. I feel like <laughs> if I cast I do coming out. Yeah. <laughs> this well, is yeah. my nightmare. This is my
2: nightmare, playing Miram <laughs> and everyone being like, we must kill you.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next card is
2: uh but is very exciting and your <laughs> favorite card it in is. the episode.
3: Wow, good tease.
2: <laughs> but first,
3: <laughs> we'll be right back. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise.
4: What a wonderful day.
3: It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. All right, my new decklist is complete. Now, let's see which cards I don't already own and buy them.
2: Wait. How'd you do that without going through a million boxes?
3: Oh, I just use Architect. They make it super easy to upload and manage your collection. Then, when you're done brewing a deck, you can sort it by
5: collection status to see what you already have. So, this group is just cards you don't own. Yep, I just click buy this stack, and it takes me right to Card Kingdom. Whoa. Architect is the best place to browse, brew, and playtest Commander decks. Just go to architectcom slash commandzone to get started. That's A-R-C-H-I-D-E-K-T dot com command commandzone.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We are talking about cards in the 99 for Lost Caverns of Ixalan, and this one is awesome. I love it so much.
3: Yeah, this is a really cool card. It's simple, which yeah. is maybe one of the reasons I miracle. like it. It's miracle. It's Squirming Emergence, one green and black, three mana for a sorcery. It says, return to the battlefield, target non-land permanent card in your graveyard with mana value less than or equal to the number of permanent cards in your graveyard. Oh. So if you have 10 permanents, that's lands, creatures, artifacts, enchantments, planeswalkers, Battles, uh, mm-hmm. in any mix and match, then you can get a 10 drop back for three mana onto the battlefield. He's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's, we know, we know the 10 drops as a, like Ugin can be reanimated or a uh, bull is the Citadel or
3: omniscience. Cheating omniscience from my graveyard directly onto the battlefield for three mana seems like uh, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. I
2: mean, it's so powerful. Obviously, it wants to be in a deck that is milling itself naturally. Has to be. And isn't just a creature deck.
3: Yeah. I think you need a high level of permanence, but it doesn't have to be insane. You're, you're going to have, let's say you have 35 to 38 lands. Mm. If another 25 to 30 of your cards are permanents and you are self-milling. Mm-hmm. If you're not self-milling, I don't think this card is probably playable, but there are a lot of decks that are playing with their graveyard and want to mill, in which case this card becomes pretty insane as long as you have enough good hits. And by good hits, I just mean stuff that is seven mana plus that will sit in your graveyard,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, you know, that doesn't shuffle itself back in. Yeah, that, that because, I mean, think of the Omniscience thing. If you Hermit Druid on two, you could get Omniscience and play turn three with this as long as it starts in your opening hand or you, yep. you draw it, yeah.
2: The thing I want to mention with this card is because it's so it's so powerful, and we've mentioned some big non-creature permanents. The way we're reason we're focusing on non-creature permanents is because there are ways to get creatures back on the battlefield. We've had there's, reanimate, there's reanimate, animate dead. These are one mana, two mana spells. People play them a ton
3: for a reason. Yeah,
2: like I have a City deck, which has fifty six creatures in it. It self mills. It's nuts. Like this would reanimate any one of them. Yep. But I just run reanimate spells because yep. it's all creatures. But if you're in a deck that is incidentally fueling its graveyard and happens to have big impactful non-creature permanents, that's where your deck, like this card, is really going to shine.
3: Yeah. I would even go so far as to say that it's worth putting in an Ugin in Omniscience. Mm. Uh, some some things, that, like one or two of that caliber into your Sadisi deck if you're going to put Squirming Emergence in. Yeah. Because the upside of that play pattern is so great. And the downside's small because you, you, you're you just putting stuff in the bin. So, listen, if the Omniscience hits the graveyard, especially if you're looting or rummaging in some way, you, you just... Don't worry about it. It's just another card that went to your graveyard that didn't cost you anything over the course of the game and just gave you a chance to get it out for a very cheap price at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially if you're in blue and you can get things like an Archaomancer or something that can bring the Squirmy Emergence back. Just the ability to just have that flexibility. And every once in a while, I just do a crazy thing. And yeah, maybe the reason I like this card is it's so simply powerful. Mm -hmm. What it does is reduce the mana cost of a thing. And just... Taking a 10 mana thing and saying you got it for three is inherently broken. Mm-hmm. But it's not combo broken. Yeah. It's fair broken.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that's Commander. Yeah. <laughs> fair broken. Uh, yeah. I, uh, this card is so much fun. The first thing I thought of was Archaeomancer. It was like, if you're milling, you probably have Archaeomancer in the deck. Yeah. I'm so excited to put it in my Lord Windgrace deck, which is a Super Friends deck. So it's Jun Super Friends. Get your Planeswalker back. You can back. get a Planeswalker back. And I don't even intend to like, like there's Nugan in the deck, but I'm not trying to, like, entomb Ugin, reanimate Ugin. It's yeah. just like, oh, I'll get back, like, you know, five mana Nissa or something like that. But you and could do the entomb
3: Ugin, You could? Cheat Ugin into play thing. You could. And one of the problems with Planeswalker decks is it, you know, you want that extra mana left over on the side to protect your planeswalkers mm. and this allows you to sort of do that like oh I got an ugin into my graveyard I got it out and I have four mana sitting there and everyone's screwed because now I can hold up my what's that blue card we just talked the about
2: the ripples of potential yeah
3: I can hold that up with. <laughs> I just cast my ugin I activated yeah. it and I'm holding up ripples of potential and I feel unbeatable
2: yeah I mean that's a, <laughs> that's a real position so fun um, I, I, I think I'm going to play a lot of that <laughs> card even
3: though it's gulgari Yeah, that's the downside of it. But, you know, the good thing is self-mill decks often include Golgari. And it's like usually with blue. It's Mm. usually soul type. But, yeah, that's the one thing I'll say. The type of decks that want it will often be in that color or those colors.
2: Okay. This next one is a double-faced card. It's Tarion's Journal. One in a black for a legendary artifact. It has an activated ability that says tap. Sack another artifact or creature. Draw a card. Activate only as a sorcery. It has a second ability that's to tap discard Your Hand, colon, Transformitarian's Journal. Uh-oh. <laughs> the backside better be good. It is. It's the Tomb of Aclazots. Tap, add black. Tap. You may cast a creature spell from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield with a finality counter on it, and it's a vampire in addition to its other types.
3: Finality counters are a new thing where if it leaves the battlefield, you exile it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so the tomb basically you've discarded your hand. <laughs> so it's like, but we'll give you a consolation prize that you can, you know, pick one thing in your graveyard and play that mm-hmm. every turn.
2: Which like it's you cast a creature. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean you get to it's like a land that gives you a Muldrotha, kind of for creatures.
3: Yeah. I don't think the backside of this is uh why we like it.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's the funny thing is like you look at it and you're like, this is this is very good, but getting there is tough. The thing I like best about it is you can just sack food tokens and yeah. draw a card. It's two mana. It sacks uh, like something that you don't care about and gives you a new card back. It feels sort of like um, Idol of Oblivion.
3: Yeah. Just expendable stuff you've got lying around or stuff gets removed, right? Like mm-hmm. they go to remove your thing. It's going to die. You're just like, cool. I'll get a card out of it. It's only
2: sorcery speed.
3: Oh, dang it. I know. Uh, it it uh, does make it much uh, worse. Uh, yeah. I didn't see the sorcery thing. Um, the
2: sorcery speed makes it significantly worse. You have to be throwing out stuff that you don't want. You have to anyway. proactively stack yeah. it. You uh, do want like scrap.
3: Okay. I think it's that it's still good. It's definitely not as good. Mm. The one the, the big thing I was gonna say about this is that it's a two mana thing that you put out. So the the opportunity cost of like getting it out on the battlefield and starting to use it is very low. Mm. But yeah, mm, sorcery.
2: Yeah, as a sorcery it makes it a lot trickier to use tricky it's like more of just a yeah. more of just a value engine that you have to activate and you're you're getting rid of you know tokens most of the time or, or you're threatening you're deck your opponent's stuff and sacking that.
3: Yeah, or it's in a deck where you want stuff to die. Yeah, you're getting yeah, dies triggers, you know. Yeah, it it kind of fits the vampiric rights type of shell. But the backside it's like something's gone wrong if yes. you've gotten there because you probably got down to zero cards in hand and figured like or one mm. and figured like, well, I already don't have any, so...
2: (laughs) This is an ejector lover, for sure, where you're like, I need something. Here we go. Play the land I just drew. Activate this. Now we're going to cast... Hopefully, I have an artifact or a
3: creature in there. That draws me some cards.
2: Uh, That
4: draws me some (laughs) cards. (laughs) Uh,
2: I think this card is a great little value piece. It's, like, cheaper than a lot of the other things that we have that do this. Uh, I want, like, Dockside Chef, is a black and it costs one and a black to sack an artifact or creature draw a card. And I kept trying to play this card and it's just too expensive. You can't pay two mana to draw a card repeatedly.
3: Even Vampiric Rites cost mana and is Uh often too expensive can be done at sorcery speed. The fact that this is just tap do it it is a big deal. Yeah, Yeah.
2: two mana for a card, two mana for two cards, two mana for three, four, three cards. I can do it.
4: Yep.
3: Uh,
2: I can do that, man. I I can do it. I can count to three. (laughs) This cards neat. Um, I'm excited to try it.
3: All right, this next one is the ever-flowing well. It is two and a blue for a legendary artifact. It says, when the ever-flowing well enters the battlefield, mill two cards, then draw two cards. It has Descend eight. At the beginning of your upkeep, if there are eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard, transform the ever-flowing well. And it transforms into the Myriad Pools, which you can tap for a blue. And it says, whenever you cast a permanent spell using mana produced by the Myriad Pools, up to one other target permanent you control becomes a copy of that spell until end of turn okay okay so
2: I, it, I like this card because it's simple
3: <laughs> yeah hmm. uh, at the so, end i was like wait what yes yeah. my brain had to reread it as i was reading it and go yeah i got that so so the front side is simple though it's yeah. divination plus mill two
2: mm-hmm. one on a permanent on yeah. an artifact
3: yeah you could sack this artifact to to the uh and,
2: journal and draw another card dang i really like that if this just did that i would probably play that card like a three-mana artifact that ETBs mill two draw to. well, it's not like super wild, it just has a lot of things that it's really, really good with. Yeah. It's great like in Galazeth where I can tap it for mana. It's great with Goblin Welder where I can sac it, get something back, and then bring it back, draw more cards. You can blink it. Right. And it just naturally fits into a lot of like permanent-based artifact blue mill decks.
3: Yeah, the self-mill, we've been talking on this episode and a bunch of the cards were like, you can only play this if you're doing self-mill things Mm -hmm. and a lot of decks do that. So the mill two is actually additional value, Mm. right? It's not just draw two, the mill two matters because you'll often have access to those cards later. Yeah. So yeah, I do like the front end a lot. And so that means, are you sort of thinking of the landside as just kind of gravy?
2: I think the landside's just gravy. I think if you get eight permanents in your graveyard and this turns into a land, now you've paid three mana to mill two, draw two, and ramp a land in blue. Yeah. That's a very impressive rate. And it just does a lot of things that we're really happy to do in Commander. And getting eight permanents in your graveyard in a self-mill deck is nothing.
3: Yeah, honestly, if you rephrase this card and you said, you know, two and a blue for an artifact. When it enters, draw two mill two. And then uh, if you have descend eight, sacrifice this, find an island in your from your library and put it into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, tapped. I think that card would be pretty good. Is it tapped or untapped? It's untapped, huh?
2: I think it's untapped. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. well, even better. Yeah. Uh, I think that card would be pretty good. Yeah. Draw me the cards, mill me the cards, leave a tri- a rectangle around that I can manipulate in other ways, maybe sack it or whatever, mm. or I ramp with it. Yeah. Um, which are all good. So let's talk about the mirrored pools, though, because yeah. it has this weird ability. And, and I read that ability, and I was like, well, how do I use that? Mm. Because you, you're transforming one of your permanents mm-hmm. into a permanent spell that you're casting right so anything but it's hard to take advantage of that because let's say I cast Moldrifter. drifter mm-hmm. I turn a permanent I control into a mole drifter I don't draw cards it didn't enter the battlefield
2: right it's just now it's a 2-2 flare
3: so it kind of gives haste
2: uh, yeah it's good for with like static abilities i think like you're doubling the the first thing i thought of is just like an ethereum sculptor that says artifacts you control cost one less to cast okay if you cast an, an ethereum sculptor with this you turn a clue into an ethereum sculptor now all of your artifacts cost two less to cast sure and you didn't pay anything for that value just for that turn though just for, for that turn, turn. Back. but it gives you a big like a big turn and incidental value That's the turn for that also
3: thing. cast scrap trawler
2: yes yeah
3: then they lose yeah
2: that's it <laughs> i mean even, i mean they do because all just they, having two scrap trawlers is like pretty wild that's actually right better, like that's, th- those kind of static better, yeah. abilities like or triggered abilities are great to have two of that's true and you don't have to be like to tap add a blue to make this happen it's just like yeah you know what, this time I'm going to have an extra Archmage Emeritus. Yeah,
3: that's true, because then you sort of turn that into the thing and then you get double triggers. Yeah. You have to do another thing after that, but hopefully whatever you're doing is kind of small.
2: Yeah, you probably just turn like like a land into it. Is it any permanent?
3: Yeah, target permanent you control.
2: Yeah, you just turn a land into a like...
3: I was trying to think of big things you could do, and I was like, hole breaker horror? But if you do that, how do you have mana left? Yeah. to take like Maybe you could cast like an opt... And then you're like, cool.
2: (laughs) I bounced two things. things. That was worth Uh it. Aha.
3: Blightsteel actually felt pretty good because it's Mm -hmm. like, now I turn one of my lands into Blightsteel, but it can attack now. Yeah. And the one saving grace about Blightsteel, having played against it a lot in my years, is that it doesn't have haste. And here it comes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because oftentimes, (laughs) if you don't see it coming, you're dead. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're not (laughs) often like just tapping out, casting Blightsteel with your mana. Yeah. But that kind of thing, giving a threat haste is a big deal. You know what? Giving like the ancient blue dragon that hits and draws cards.
3: Once you flip this over, you probably set up for a high tide or a mana geyser turn. Mm. And then oh, you're a setup play mm. that's at the beginning of a turn where I'm, I've am i got 25 mana. And then the Ethereum Sculptor, whole, even Holebreaker Horror type stuff comes into play more. So maybe I'm just, again, thinking about it wrong where I, I'm like, well, how would I take advantage of every, every turn? You're not. It's a land. It's an island. But then yeah. it does help you win the game on the turn when you try and win it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you look at your turn and you're like, "What do I? What of the things in my hand do I want two of?" And it's like, I guess I'll cast this talisman with it, and I'll turn that this creature into a talisman until to, just to get turn.
5: one extra just mana to, this just turn.
3: to like
2: have an extra mana. Hmm. Yeah, okay. it's interesting. Uh, I like it a lot. It's not fancy. I
3: mean, there's a lot of words. There's a lot
2: of words. It's pretty,
3: (laughs) everything in this set is fancy, (laughs) including this so many cards are two cards, but this next card is just one card, but it's still got a lot of words on it.
2: The Millennium Calendar. A single mana for a legendary artifact. Whenever you untap one or more permanents during your untap step, put that many time counters on the Millennium Calendar. Okay, you untap four lands, you put four counters on it to tap double the number of time counters on the millennium calendar. Okay. When there are 1,000 or more time counters on the millennium calendar sacrifice it, and each opponent loses 1,000 life.
3: I like how it's not like you win the game. No.
2: <laughs> now, if you have aklazots on the battle, the blood letter of Aklazats, oh, yeah. now they lose 2,000 life, Josh. <laughs> that's a combo. Combo, that's what we call a
3: combo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, uh, this is a wild win con on a one-mana artifact. It's a definitely, it's like the... Um, The artifact you were talking about before, where it's like, I haven't done it many times, but when I do get to do it, Azor's Gateway, it's
3: awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Right? Yep. So I think you would think that this would go in, like, counter-manipulation-
2: yeah, like in the Doctor Who like time travel ones. You're like it has time counters on it. Yeah. I'll why me, yeah. and put three additional counters on it.
3: Yeah, I don't think that's. No. Th- it does nothing for this card cuz the numbers you're talking about eventually get so big that like the difference between 100 and, you know, 11 and 121 counters on it is not it doesn't actually change any math. Right. So, to me it goes in untappy decks mm-hmm. because you have to be able to use the activated ability to double on it. And then, so there's some important numbers to know if, and I did the math. <laughs> you did
2: some math here. Yeah.
3: And it's, and it's interesting because, you know, I, I, you know, once I started doing, it, I was like, oh, I get the math here. But as I was starting I was like, oh, geez. So if it has four counters on it, mm. like you have played this, uh, and on, you know, played on turn one. And I think by turn three, it should have, you can get the one, you get the two, then on. Okay. So let's say.
2: But you are incidentally adding stuff when you untap permanent. I mean, well. the so these are, these are a little rough.
3: Okay, so four counters on it, you'd have to activate nine times to get to 1,000 plus.
2: That's a lot. Nine times is many.
3: Yep. If it's got five counters on it, you're up to eight. uh, You go down to eight times. That's the same for six and seven counters. Mm. You'd have to activate eight times. So there's functionally no different if you start doubling at five, six, or seven. Mm. At four, it's an additional time. So you probably don't even bother spending the mana there. Mm Mm-hmm. Once you're at eight counters on it, it's seven activations away from winning you the game. Uh, I'm going to call it winning you the game, dealing a thousand damage to each of your opponents. (laughs) Maybe maybe they live. Yeah, maybe they live. Uh, At 16 counters, it's six activations. At 32 counters, it's five. At 63 plus, I just started saying plus here. Maybe you got 68. (laughs) It's four times. At 125 counters, it's three times away. And this is where you should start getting worried, Mm -hmm. I think. Like, if they're at eight counters on it, whatever, it's going to be a little while. Yeah. They're going to skip ahead somewhere in here if they've got this in their deck. They're, it's going to be like, oh, I'm four activations away. And then they're going to be like, play Voltaic K, play Clock of Omens, play this, untap it five times, you all lose. Ha ha ha. Yeah. That's how it's going to go. <laughs> so, anyway, 125 counters is three activations, 250 counters plus is two times. And obviously, if it has 500 counters or more, just one just away. Just one away. So the, um, those are the numbers to worry about, but I would mostly think of, like, is it 63 or more? That's, in my brain, that's right. where I'm, like, I'm four worried. T-
2: four activations away, because it's reasonable to consider that they can untap it three times. Like, yeah. that is a thing It'll you cost can do. It'll
3: eight mana. Yep. And that's in the realm of when that type of thing happens in Commander Games, just like we were talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's exponential, so you ha- you do have to, like, <laughs> sort of keep an eye on it. Yeah. But I like that point that you, you don't even start doubling it, really, until it gets to around, like, 10. Yeah. Like, you play this as early as you can, you just get the counters from untapping stuff incidentally, and then you start dumping mana into it once it has, like, a reasonable, like... D- what did we say? Like 12, like eight
3: Eight, counters on it. Eight. Yeah. Either eight or 16 is
2: when you start actually doubling the number of counters on it. Um, Obviously, if you have something like a doubling season, yep. that changes the clock because now you're putting twice as many counters on every single time you activate it.
3: Those are going to be alarm bells going mm-hmm. off like crazy for your opponents. So you would only play doubling season basically on that volcanic Key turn anyway. That would all mm-hmm. be in the calculus. So if you're, if you're playing it, like you're the one activating it, then somewhere around... When it has sixty three or more is when you're start you're you've got your plan ready to be like, next turn I'm gonna do A, B, and C all at once, and then try and get there. Cause you're not gonna get there if you're like, so next turn I'm gonna do it, and then I'm gonna wait till my next turn, and then that turn I'm gonna double it, and then I'm gonna wait till my next turn, and then that <laughs> turn I'm gonna double it, and I'll be at five hundred plus, and then I'm gonna wait till my next you'll never get there. Yeah. yeah. That's uh
2: <laughs> it's very slow and your opponents will be like, Okay, now we kill him.
3: <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be like doing everything possible to either kill you or find a destroy target artifact yep. spell. And between the three of them, they'll be able to do it.
2: There are a couple of things that really do speed up that this clock, like a doubling season. Uh, we talked about you mentioned Clock of Omens already. That's tap two untapped artifacts. You control untapped target artifact. So if they have like treasures and stuff, you can start tapping treasures to untap this, to activate it uh, multiple times. Unwinding Clock untaps all of your artifacts so you can start doing it wow. every turn. And you can activate this at instant speed. So keep an eye out. Yep. The one I wanted to mention was All Will Be One.
3: Uh, this is... Actually, the best win con if you're playing this card.
2: Yeah, I mean, a thousand life, a schmauzen life, they have 40, you know? like.
3: <laughs> you don't need to get a thousand, you need to get 120.
2: <laughs> all will be one is an enchantment for five minutes Says whenever you put one or more counters on a permanent or player, all will be one deals that much damage to target opponent, creature and opponent controls, or planeswalker and opponent controls. So once you get like 10 counters on this thing, which is not that hard, now you're doing 10 damage to you, 20 damage to you, 40 damage to you, and the game's over. Well, the
3: great thing about all we won is it does it to any target, and it'll do it as even the small bits are going on as mm-hmm. you're untapping your land. So you're just yep. like I untap for the turn. That was eight counters going on this thing. I will deal eight to th- and kill that creature, yep. and it's just like free removal. Yeah, to the point where like if you have all be one in a deck and maybe a way to tutor for, you know,
2: or a saga or something. Oh, yeah. or to Urza yeah. Saga puts the calendar onto the great. battlefield. Yeah,
3: but just, it might be worth running a little package that's just like, I hope, I'm not going to try and win with uh, the Millennium Calendar. I'm just going to try and pair it with All Will Be One, because mm-hmm. that seems cool. broken. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I also wanted to mention that uh, all of the things we're afraid of with this thing, like Unwinding Clock and Clock of Omens, are clocks that speed up <laughs> the Millennium time. Calendar. It's, wow, the flavor. <laughs> timey why me.
3: Yeah
2: it's a super sweet card if you pull it off we want to hear about it that's really fun
3: it's going to cause a lot of math arguments yeah. <laughs> no, no it was at 74 that means it's at 128 somebody get a calendar <laughs> yeah. a calculator somebody what get a what was that what was that before I don't remember ah oh, crap <laughs> <laughs> just need a life count yeah we're not going to play that on game nights because we're definitely going to be like <laughs> rewind the tape what was it at
2: <laughs> Jamie did you write that down I was writing out something else <laughs> All right, what is this? This is uh, one of my favorite cards in the set. It's Very cool. Tishana's Tidebinder. Two and a blue for a merfolk wizard. It's a 3-2 with flash. When it enters the battlefield, counter up to one target activated or triggered ability like the lose a thousand life.
3: <laughs> oh, that would be so no, bad. No. You're like, yes, a thousand. And they're like, uh, I'll counter that ability. <laughs> and not only that, but...
2: <laughs> if, an, if an ability of an artifact creature or planeswalker is countered this way, that permanent loses all abilities for as long as Tishon's Diebinder might the well.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow, we talked about the Millennium Calendar and then we talked about the silver bullet to
4: yeah. stop the Millennium Calendar.
2: <laughs> so this card's sweet. It's a creature with a stifle effect on it. It can counter triggered abilities like and activated abilities. And remember, uh, at where... Mm? At, when, whenever are triggered abilities and colons represent activated abilities.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, but it has this added thing, because we've seen the stifles and stuff before, but yeah. this one also is like, I'll stop that, and then also stop that thing from doing anything else.
2: Yeah, until while I'm here, part. you're quiet. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <As> a teacher. <laughs> you're going to sit by me. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's the quiet corner. <laughs>
2: so there's a couple of strange things about this. This can counter any triggered or activated ability, but when it enters, it can only shut down all of the abilities of artifacts creatures and planeswalkers
3: oh it, it can counter a an ability of an enchantment but it won't turn weird
2: yeah so it, it will it won't shut down enchantments it won't shut down like lands like if you counter a maze of eth it won't shut down the maze of eth why not so, can, it, i don't know that's like the, a limitation they put on it i guess weird so is artifact creature or planeswalkers are the only ones that lose all their abilities and the other thing is it doesn't just lose its triggered or activated it just loses its abilities so if it has static abilities it's like no
3: yeah which is pretty sweet yeah because obviously you're just like planeswalkers especially Mm -hmm. you catch their planeswalker ability and you're just like that Planeswalker is nothing. <laughs> it just doesn't do stuff. Yeah.
2: yeah. I love it as specifically with Planeswalkers that have like triggered abilities or static abilities. The, whenever a creature you control dies, draw a card on like Liliana Dreadhorde General, you can stifle that and just no more uh, of that.
3: Bye. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Oh man. somebody's going to work really hard to get up to their ultimate uh-huh. and then not only not ultimate, but also not have that Planeswalker be anything. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love a stifle effect as a really fun gotcha card, specifically around
2: like big payoff cards like Aether Reservoir. Yeah, it's like this was very cute. You had a wonderful <laughs> time. Thank you for paying fifty life. Yeah. No, <laughs>
3: no, that didn't happen. Yeah,
2: Stifles, also you're gaining no more life.
3: I like to have a stifle or two in a in a deck just for it's so unexpected. They, it's a gimme. They're going to get the thing. So they, when they're calculating their turns mm. and they're sequencing their plays. Th- you know, you're often being like, well, what if they kill this creature or who's got mana open? But mm. you never say, like, what if I activate this Planeswalker ability and it just doesn't happen? And so that yeah. really can screw up, especially if it's late in the process or like I, I do A, I do B, and then C is going to be this. And you're like, oh, C doesn't happen and the whole thing sucks now. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you do have to catch the ability to turn off the thing. You can't just play this and say, okay turn off your Avenger of Zendikar, Mm. there has to be an ability on the stack of some kind triggered or activated.
2: Yeah, so you could counter all of the, the ETB, all the plants getting made, or you could counter a landfall trigger, all of the counters going on it. Um, it's nice against stuff like Avenger of Zendikar because a lot of the time you're like, oh, a counterspell just a- answers an Avenger of Zendikar. It's like a counterspell only answers it when it's on the stack. Right. This one says like, oh, you have the plants. It's too late. I can't do anything about that. But they're not getting any bigger. Like I'm going to counter your landfall ability and turn that off.
3: Yeah. If they cast Avenger of Zendikar and then the next turn you draw your counterspell, it doesn't help you. No. Nope. But Tide Tidebinder kind of does. Mm-hmm. That it is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like this card a lot just because it's going to be very uh, unexpected. And uh, w- it, yeah, go ahead. yeah,
2: it's worth noting that um, if, if they blink the permanent and the permanent comes back in, it's a new permanent. It it is uh, alive and well. Yep, you could blink your Tishana's Side Binder, get him again, but <laughs> um, it's a new permanent and is no longer shut down.
3: Yeah. Also, it doesn't catch replacement effects, so anything that says "if," mm-hmm. so like Academy Manufacturer it won't affect that card at all. It just doesn't see it. There's no triggered or activated ability on Academy Manufacturer. That is a replacement effect. Right. So the word if is what you're looking for. If it says if, sorry...
2: And it also doesn't work on mana abilities because they don't use the stack. So, of course, you can't, like, stifle a soul ring or something like that. But this is particularly relevant for Phyrexian Altar and Ashnod's Altar because those are mana abilities.
3: Which seems, like, not fair, but they are.
2: (laughs) But they are.
3: Yeah, so the question here is narrowness Mm -hmm. because this is pretty specific. Although the fact that it's triggered and activated, and we just went through and saw that, like, it's a very a high percentage of cards just have triggered abilities. You add activated into that, it's gonna be even more. Is this a broad enough type of effect that you would play it widely? Or is there a specific type of deck you think this goes in?
2: I mean, I think that's the issue with stifle effects that we've seen in the past is like if you stifle something, it's still like it's still a problem. Yeah. It's not a problem right now, but it's still likely a problem. And the fact that it it sort of answers you know, a commander like a Kenrith or something yeah. like that, and it says like you uh-huh. are done. Like <laughs> the, you got to
3: kill this. Yeah, uh, yeah, you got to do something.
2: Yeah, it, without necessarily sending it back to the command zone, or like obviously they can activate it on this on the stack if they have infinite mana. They have infinite mana, but um it does give you an option, and I like that it's on a creature so you can blink it and you can reanimate it and. You know, it has merfolk synergies in it. Yeah. I think it's a ton of fun. I love having the answer to something weird and being like, being like, ah, ha, ha. You think you thought, but you don't.
3: Yeah, that is
5: my favorite.
2: Yeah, ton of fun. Uh, okay. Uh, Lost Caverns of Ixalan actually came with a ton of answers. We've talked about a few of them already. They're a little bit tougher to uh, evaluate. And I didn't want to spend a ton of time, with, but we would be remiss to yeah. not talk about uh, a couple of removal spells that are in this set. So we're yeah, going to go through it, them pretty quick.
3: Yeah, it feels like the set, one of the things they feels like we're purposefully doing is giving some nice, efficient removal and interaction mm-hmm. to players. Uh, and some of the highest played cards in the format are Short Supply Shares, Path of Exile, that kind of style of thing. And so some of those can be expensive. They sort of fluctuate in prices or how widely available they are. So I think it's cool that they're handing out some candy here. Some they're handing out some stuff that I think is going to be usable. Even the ones that were like, "Oh, this card's better or worse," these are still going to be very good and playable for players' index because it's all efficient stuff.
2: Yeah. All right, we're going to start with Bitter Triumph. One in a black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast this spell, d- discard a card or pay three life. It says destroy target creature or planeswalker.
3: So two mana, murk a creature or planeswalker, pay three life.
2: Most of the time, yeah. Yep um it, i think this replaces all my infernal grasps i think this is like really efficient it doesn't exile that's the only knock on it
3: yeah are you willing to pay one more life for the ability to kill planeswalkers yes yeah. i am yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely am can do yeah i compared a little to anguish on making which mm-hmm. is a very good card and played in a lot of decks obviously it doesn't hit as many permanent types but
2: mm-hmm. but it it also two mana instead yeah, of three it's two mana yep. it doesn't have that w- second white pip as well flexible strong uh highly playable lot. yep,
3: yep. The next one is Contest of Claws. It's one in a green for a sorcery. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature. If excess if excess damage was dealt this way, discover X, where X is that excess damage. Now Discover is the new Cascade variant. Mm-hmm. It's it says exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card with mana value. Uh, X or less and then cast it without paying its mana cost or put it into your or put it into your hand put the rest on the bottom in a random order so it's been fixed in a couple of places uh, you put it into your hand so if you hit a counter spell or something you don't have to cast it mm-hmm. yeah so the excess damage thing is like let's say I have a 7-7 seven, seven, and Rachel has a 4-4 four, four. I cast this I have 3 ex- you know I kill the 4-4 four, four, and I have 3 excess damage I will discover for 3 which means I flip cards from the top of my library until I find a spell that is 3 CMC or less, and then I either cast that or put it into my hand. I think people evaluate uh, Discover and Cascade incorrectly in that the higher the number gets, uh, there's more going to get a 10 drop. Yeah, it's, it has marginal benefit after three, really, because you can get X or less, in some ways, one is better than two and three because you'll probably get your soul ring or your skull clamp
2: as percent all. Yeah, it's one mana and you have it in the deck. It's, it's powerful. very good. Yeah. yeah.
3: So whereas two drops are a, a lot more variance, you're likely to get a mana rock, which you know at the time you're casting this, maybe not as impactful to the game. And that means if you cast, let's say I have a twenty twenty and I hit her four four, I have a I have a, a, a discover sixteen. But what I'm likely to get is just the next spell in my deck, which could be a two drop. And, you know, most decks are full of twos and threes. So mm-hmm. your you're probably average get in your deck is like a 2.8 mana for thing. Yeah. Yeah. So.
2: It's, yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily have to go in a deck where you're like, I have an 18-18 in the command zone and I'm using it to cascade a huge amount. What I like about this is like, we don't play a ton of bite spells because it requires that you have a creature and it requires that, like a lot of things to happen, but this gives you an additional, like it gives you a card back. Yeah. Uh, so this is a removal spell that cantrips as long as you have a big enough creature in play, which means for me, it's on, on the table.
3: Yeah. I think about it and, and it gets a lot better. If you can manipulate the top of your library and see it in any way,
2: for sure, yeah.
3: Because if you can see, like, oh, there's a seven drop there, and I'm mean gonna like really get paid here. Mm. That's a totally different. Equa- then uh, equation. it's awesome. Yeah,
2: sorcery speed, of course, makes it a little bit more narrow, but pretty cool card. Okay. Uh, the next one is eaten by piranhas it's one of my favorite flavor cards in the whole yeah. deck uh, set it's one in a blue for an enchantment aura with flash it is enchant creature enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a black skeleton creature with face power and toughness 1-1 one, one. you ain't got no
3: more meat on your bones because the <laughs> piranhas ate it now yeah.
2: <laughs> so this is a blue removal spell that gets around indestructible it gets around like uh indestructible <laughs> um,
3: it loses all abilities too so yeah. I think that's uh, there's there's uh, what are the, what's the word analogs to this card Imprisoned in the Moon is one mm-hmm. Witness Protection, Frogify the difference really between this and Im- Witness Protection and Frogify is the Flash right. which is a big deal
2: yeah, when Witness Protection came out, I was like, this is a single blue to like handle a creature, and it is handled. Like, Pongify and Rapid Hybridization will normally do it, but they give them like sometimes a relevant body, and sometimes you want to exile it. Yeah. So I liked that this is another option for blue, but the flash, the yeah. sorcery speed is so brutal. So I think that eaten by piranhas maybe comes up on a deck that is more permanent focused maybe you're doing descent things um or maybe you're doing enchantress things
3: cool 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 all right uh is this the last one nope there are two more it is get lost <laughs> It's a one and a white for an instant. To destroy target creature, enchantment, or planeswalker, its controller creates two map tokens. Map tokens are artifacts with one tap sacrifices artifact target uh, creature you control explores only as a sorcery. So this is give a sort of minimal stuff in exchange for cheap mana cost and versatility so two right. mana destroy a creature enchantment or planeswalker mm-hmm. and give them two maps it's
2: like fateful absence which is the destroy a creature or a planeswalker give them a clue this adds enchantment and gives them a worse permanent in my opinion yeah i'd um, put
3: map tokens that like they're not worth a card uh yeah are two worth a card probably 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 close. Yeah. Um, they, it costs them some mana and, and whatnot, but like it, they're probably going to draw a land or something off of it.
2: Yeah, which means that you like add you add just the full enchantment value off of Fateful Absence. And this card has seen play. Um, I know commander players really prioritize flexibility in their removal. If we have a removal spell, we really want to be able to answer it. But in white, you're fighting with Swords to Plowshares and Path to Exile, which are just the best ways to remove creatures and the most efficient. So this gives you a little bit more flexibility in that two slot, which I like better than like the three mana removal that we've gotten. Like, you know, I'm we've talked about not being a big fan of um, Generous Gift. Yeah. And then the most recent one that gives a human, this one. Stroke of Midnight. Stroke of Midnight. Well done. I played a lot of limited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't give them blockers and uh, it answers a lot of the problem permanents for only two mana.
3: Yeah. I wonder how big a downside it is that it doesn't hit artifacts, mm-hmm. but the fact that it hits creatures and enchantments, planes, planeswalkers won't come up that much, but when it does, it'll be important. Yeah. Yeah. Soul Partition is a, a card you put down that I, I think I like a little bit better than this one. It's the one that makes the spell, it exiles it, but they can cast it again, but it costs two more to cast.
2: That's like a super bounce.
3: Yeah. And, and I think you and I are both higher than the average player on delayed style cards. Mm-hmm. Most people read stuff that is obviously a delay and don't like it. Mm. And I just see removal as a delay anyway. Yeah. so
2: They're going to try and get it back or they're going to find something else anyway. Um,
3: But this slots right in there hits three different permanent types uh, and is only two mana, which is a big deal.
2: It's pretty good, Um, especially in decks that are splashing white or like white is not the primary color. I think this is a really easy removal spell to lean on. Uh, the fight! Oh Ooh, no, there's, got, there's two more. There's two more. Uh We've got permission denied. White and a blue for an instant counter target non-creature spell. Your opponents can't cast non-creature spells this turn.
3: Ah 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 ah. You didn't. You didn't say the magic word. Ah uh, ah uh, ah. Uh. Hold on to your butts. Okay, that's it. It's so good.
2: Uh, <laughs> so this card's super fun. This is a, a negate plus a silence effect, but only for non-creature spells this turn. We talked about this a little bit because I think the first thing I thought of was Adobe's Veto. Yeah. Which is white and a blue counter non creature, and then this spell can't be countered.
3: Yeah. Similar costs, both non creature spells. And then the question is, is this spell can't be countered better than your opponents can't cast non creature spells this turn? Mm-hmm. And to me, yes, it, this spell can't be countered is quite a bit better. Mm. Even though I think when you read it, it seems as if oh, my opponents can't cast non-creature spells this turn. That seems pretty good. Mm-hmm. But you have to think of, like, in reality, if you're countering a non-creature spell, what is it probably? If it's on your turn, it's probably a counter spell of theirs. Mm. Which means that... Yes, you would like them to not cast non-creature spells, but the most likely non-creature spell they're likely to cast after that one is another counter spell, and you're in a counter war, in which case this won't resolve in time to stop those other counter spells. Right. In the other scenario, you're countering something they're casting on their turn, which is a board wipe or a really big effect. Mm-hmm. Something that's scary to you that you're feeling the need to counter, in which case they're unlikely to be needing to cast more non-creature spells after that. And if they are, it's probably a counter spell, which Mm -hmm. they will cast before this resolves, blah, blah, blah. So it's hard to come up with scenarios where your opponents can't cast non-creature spells is actually applicable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Silence is a card that that does see some play, but silence is, of course, proactive, so you can cast it in the upkeep and be like, no non-creature spells this turn. Permission Denied relies on them putting a spell on the stack first and sort of opening up the counter war, which I suppose so does silence, but... Silence,
3: you I've definitely been silenced in my upkeep and yeah. lost games to it. And if this could do that, the additional utility might bump it up. It definitely would make it better. And would it bump it above Dovin's Vito? I don't know. Mm. I don't know how you'd template a card that way. But if it had that mode of like counter target non creature spell and somehow separated from that, but also is, mm-hmm. and you can cast it on its own, is your, mode. Yeah. Your opponents can't cast non creature spells this turn. Eh, it would be a different thing. But because they're tied together, you have to have a target before you can even try and do this. Right. Yeah. You just can't cast it on their upkeep and, and turn off their turn. Yep. Yeah.
2: It's a it's an interesting spell. I wonder if it's more powerful the more like competitive and stormy your your playgroup is, like if their your your playgroup is always going off and casting a bunch of stuff in one spot a turn, then maybe this is something that you look at, but uh I don't... You also already have to be in blue and white, and you're probably playing the free counterspells over And
3: it the anyway. storm has to be not instant speed, and yeah. like, yeah.
2: I just think of enchantress decks where it's like, I cast this, and I draw four cards, and I cast this, and I draw four cards, sure. and I dress this, and I draw four yeah. cards, and you can like turn that turn off, but that's relevant in one turn, and the rest of the time it's negate, which is fine.
3: Yeah, I would say negate's probably better most times, just easier to cast. Yeah, it's easier to cast.
2: Okay, now no, we have one more.
3: Yeah, and this one... How could I forget it? Because I like this card a it's lot, sweet. actually. Yeah, this is Zoyoa's Justice. Uh, no, no way I pronounced that right. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is one in red for an instant. The owner of target artifact or creature with mana value one or greater shuffles it into their library. Then that player discovers X where X is its mana value. So discovers that cascade variant we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So you cannot do this on stuff with mana value zero no
2: lands no tokens
3: yeah but anything else uh anything one mana value or greater you shuffle it into the library it's not even destroyed right like shuffle it in and then they discover the cmc or the mana value of the thing that got shuffled in obvious comparisons to wild magic surge and chaos warp
2: Yeah, this gets around the problems of those two, which is like, I answer a thing that's a problem right now, and I get a bigger problem. I hit, you know, something crazy off of the Chaos Warp that you're like,
3: oh, no! The worst this one can can do is as big of a problem. As
2: big of a problem. Yeah. Which, you know, we'll deal with that next. (laughs)
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there's still scenarios where you do make it worse, but those scenarios are somewhat tempered. Right. But also, it goes to the thing we were talking about earlier, where the higher number of Discover or Cascade does not, it's not a force multiplier in, like, a linear way. Yeah, it raises
2: the ceiling, but it doesn't change the floor.
3: Yeah, so a seven-mana thing that I use this card on is still likely to get me about whatever the average curve of the deck is, 2.8 mana worth of thing uh, in In replacement. And that's great. And it also puts a ceiling, like if I get rid of a four mana thing, they cannot get a seven mana thing off of it. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty good.
2: It's pretty good. And it's two mana. Yeah. One in a red for this is awesome this feels like a, a little bit of a techier like like an a braid kind of yeah which is an a braid that scales with the game which has always been the issue with the braid is a braid is awesome but it doesn't like late As soon in the game toughness you're like, you're like nah! <laughs> and this is an a braid that's like okay I'm coming with you and you'll get a spell accordingly
3: you think about Tybalt's trickery, yeah, which has, you know, similar downside to Chaos Warp. We do not hesitate to play Tybalt's trickery. It's a great card. Mm-hmm. Chaos Warp, same thing. You don't hesitate to play it. These are good cards, even though once in a while you do get burned by it. But the overall average of it is in your favor for sure. Mm-hmm. For a little second, hot second there, and you talked me out of it. You're right. Um, I was like, man, is this just better than Chaos Warp? But Chaos Warp hits more permanent types for one other mana. So mm-hmm. I do believe this doesn't replace Chaos Warp, but I think it. Be, Chaos Warp is like every red deck, pretty much I run it unless I can get, you know, unless I have like white mm-hmm. to sort of cover the removal angle because Red just has a hard time dealing with enchantments and Chaos Warp will do it. And then oh, if they got a Planeswalker, I can do that too. Um, but I think... Uh, I don't want to say the name. Zoyoas <laughs> Justice. <laughs> I think this red card that we're talking about right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Zoyoas is good enough that it's like it's Tibble's trickery ass. Probably not quite as good as Tibble's trickery, but mm-hmm. like in that in that tier, like at the bottom of that tier, there's Tibble's trickery, then Chaos Warp, and then this.
2: Yeah. And Chaos Warp, if you're running Chaos Warp, I encourage you to look twice at all the decks that it's in. I see Chaos Warp in Boros decks all the time. And yeah. you're like, no no, 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 White can answer it. Yeah. Don't lean on red.
3: That's the whole thing about white. <laughs> Go to white. <laughs> they can answer all the permanents. Don't play the red one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if
2: you're playing Rakdos. Yes. Now we're talking Dimir. Chaos Warp.
3: Boom. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like <it's>... Yep. Grixis. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Just look at it again. Make sure you're not leaning on something that is not super good where there are cards that yeah. are super good.
3: Even green, you're like, oh, no, enchantments and artifacts. We got that covered. Yeah, no you, don't need,
2: you don't need chaos war. <laughs> okay. Um, sweet. I, yeah, I think this card's awesome. I'm really excited about the new suite of removal spells. I love that they're all two mana. Are they all two mana? Yes. Um, in like one in each color, they, yeah. they all just are efficient and do what we need them to do and have that thing that we're always looking for in removal. Exciting stuff.
3: Okay, so that is going to conclude our In the 99 new card analysis from Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Before we go, we're going to talk about what our favorite card In the 99 from this set is. Rachel, you want to go first?
2: I alluded to it a little bit, but I really like Tishana's Tidebinder. I I just like the moments that those cards create where you're like, everybody thinks you're dead and you're like, hey, we're not. Yeah. (laughs) I have it. It's Uh, very tricky. And it, it's, it's a cool one. It's fun in blank spells. And I like Marfolk, so.
3: Yeah, I like that card a lot too. Uh, mine was Squirming Emergence.
2: Yeah, the reanimation spell.
3: Yeah, I feel like I, I play a lot of reanimate just as like a, if it's black, uh, reanimate's so efficient. Mm-hmm. I play like Phantasmal Image a lot. It's just so efficient. It's hard to be like, I will find a cool spot. I'll do something powerful with this. And it, just through pure mana efficiency. And I feel like Squirming Emergence kind of fits that bill.
2: This is a card that really feels good when you play it because you like you have so many choices and you can imagine all the lines and it's one of the when it's in your hand you're like okay i can if i can figure this out i can do it so it makes you feel smart and it enables those lines without being the kind of card that's like whenever you do this you also do this
3: yeah and then and it, this it, triggers it, that
2: and so your brain isn't gummed up with like this and that yeah. and this and that you're and just, it's like, just like i just gotta
3: decide what card i want find, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna play this card and then that card or i can get this card and then that card but that's what i'm thinking about is like my sequencing yeah
2: right yeah it makes you feel smart without feeling overwhelmed,
3: which is cool. Uh, all right, so the most powerful card in the 99 mm-hmm. is the next category. I think we should let the patrons answer this one first. We put a poll out on our Patreon to see what our patrons thought was the most powerful card in the 99 from the set. And drum roll, please. They, the winner is, they decided it was O'Hare Talk deepest foundation a and it was not one. close no
2: i so we put this we put this poll out on both discord and patreon and it's really funny because the patreon votes are like 50 percent of yeah. our talk we wrote like, like 12 like, cards or yeah, out, of, yeah. out of 10 <laughs> options 50 percent that and then you go in the discord and it's like two or three people voted for it a, and like one of the other ones won yeah. so it's a uh, A high variance, but decidedly O'Hare Talk won that vote. We've already talked about it, but um, it's definitely going to do the biggest stuff.
3: Yeah, most powerful is an interesting way to frame a question because you can interpret it in different ways. Mm. One way to interpret it is like, what's the most powerful thing a card could do and how powerful is that compared to the most powerful card any other card could do? But you can also say, on average, what do I think this card, how is Mm. it going to perform? And that's how I'm measuring it. Or what's going
2: to show up in the most decks. Yeah, exactly. How
3: broad is the application of this thing? Because it could be narrow and very powerful. Do I have that say that's more powerful than something that's less powerful, but broad, I can use it in a million different situations. Mm-hmm. You know, I obviously tend toward this sort of million situations mm-hmm. myself, but i you can't fault anybody for saying, like, for sort of choosing the other path as the reason they chose whatever, so. Absolutely. Having said that, uh, I picked the card I don't like to say out loud because I can't pronounce it, Zoyola's Justice. Yeah. As what I thought was the most powerful simply for... The fact that I think it it does meaningfully sort of bump out some other options that I think, and get into red decks here at a pretty high rate.
2: Yeah, I really like that this is, this is like, all right, a braid, which is still pretty good and I think a little underplayed. It kind of gets pushed down yeah. for just a removal spell that answers more threats. Yep. It can be really frustrating playing red and just knowing that you're like, I have three answers for this thing and I have to dig. Or like... <laughs>
3: yeah yeah just another way to get rid of you know anything any size
2: creature artifacts plus you combine it gets around indestructible
3: red just has trouble with certain things and this you know and for two mana they didn't make it cost like four or five where Mm -hmm. it's just untenable yeah
2: Um, mine, I, I really struggled with, there's a lot of cards that are really powerful in certain situations. I think in terms of the ones that show up that you're like, Ooh, something big cometh. Uh, and that's going to show up in a lot of decks in powerful ways is roaming throne. Mm. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about it. Obviously this is kind of a, it's a do nothing doubler, but the fact that it's four mana and that it doubles like attack triggers, damage triggers, um, ETB triggers, and and then also counts for a ton of cards in your deck.
3: On combat damage trigger. Yeah. Double, double sword of feast of famine.
2: It just, yeah, it really does a lot, um, and a lot more the more you think about it. So I think that's my pick for today. I think it's certainly one that we're going to see a lot of.
3: Yeah. I, I, we're going to see that card a lot. It, it is very cool. I think the other one we're going to see a lot is the shoot Dryad. Yes. Uh,
2: the wander Glyph, I think.
3: Illustrious Wander Glyph.
2: Well done. Probably. <laughs> it sounded right <laughs> it had the rhythm of the card
3: <laughs> that's right it was it said so cadence it had the that. cadence yeah. wait
2: nope that's a different one she's just sorry i'm up. trying to find the i'm yeah. trying to put well, the name is yeah to see
3: if i was right or not i just want to say what do you think oh illustrious wonder if i was right never didn't despite have it despite that
2: name being utter nonsense you remembered
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's so lucky all right, to the listeners, what do you think about Lost Caverns of Ixalan? Are you excited about it as we are? What new cards are going to slot perfectly into your existing commander decks? Or are there any brand new commander decks you're going to build from the set? We'd love to hear from you in the comments on Twitter. You can email us on Discord, send us a Patreon message, put a comment on our TikTok or on yeah. Facebook. We even have that. We got everything. It's easy to talk to us. We're, we're not hard to find.
2: <laughs> Hopefully not. We're really working hard. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about a lot of magic cards today. Of course, you can pick up any of those while supporting the show by going to cardkingdom.com slash command bookmark it. And then every time you shop at Card Kingdom, you'll be supporting the show. Plus, they have a huge selection of magic cards. So you can get a ton of cards from Lost Caverns of Ixalon. You can get sealed product from Lost Caverns. These pre-cons are awesome. If you have any interest in any of them, go get them from Card Kingdom and they will ship it to you in one tidy package and it'll be professionally packaged. That is the biggest thing that I love about Card Kingdom is when I'm shopping for my magic cards, I want the card that I buy to be the card that shows up on my doorstep. And I know that when I'm shopping at Card Kingdom, they're going to wrap it in a way that it is not going to get damaged in the mail, even if it gets shoved into my mailbox by somebody who doesn't know what it is.
3: Yeah, we're going into rainy season too.
2: Absolutely. They put them in plastic and yep. tape them all up and then put them in bubble wrap. Keep your cards safe. Make sure that when you're spending money, you're getting exactly what you want. Shop at Card Kingdom.com slash command
3: yeah they're in seattle they know about rain yeah (laughs) Um, and then yeah (laughs) they're tested yep yep and then once you get those cards and they are not waterlogged because card kingdom has packaged them correctly you still want to keep them safe for the future and the best way to do that is with ultra pro products go to ultraprocom slash command you can find all kinds of cool sleeves deck boxes play mats wall scrolls they have the licensing agreement with Wizards of the Coast so if you want the awesome cool Lost Caverns of Ixalan artwork on that stuff they've mm-hmm. got it and they also all the time have tons of huge deals and discounts and savings that go through their website um, that happens just on and off all the time if you sign up for their newsletter they'll tell you about it but also just sort of going back to ultrapro.com command and checking once in a while you will find stuff I promise uh, and we've been mentioning Apex Sleeves which is sort of their new product that's coming down the line here very very soon so- excited yeah uh, we've had a chance to try out these new sleeves uh, they've been working on them for years they've come up with some really c- incredible testing processes and they're a game changer we're really excited about them here at the command zone so if you want to find out more about uh, apex sleeves you can find those links in the show notes again ultrapro.com slash command
2: and we're on TikTok. We're releasing short form material. Go follow us on TikTok. Follow us on Instagram. If you haven't already, go check those out. They're a ton of fun to make. And uh, we hope you're enjoying them.
3: Yeah, we're considering making some original stuff for TikTok. So, you know, the, the yeah. best way to encourage us to do that is to follow us there. Because if yeah. those numbers get high enough, we go, yeah,
2: it might be worth uh, it. Might, go, uh, might be tiktok <laughs> Maybe. Maybe we'll get Josh to dance. <laughs> Big thank you here I'm not above it. I'm not above it. our yep. amazing team here at the Command Zone. Thank you to Damon Lentz, Eric Lem, Megan Yip, Garav Galati, Jordan Pridgen, Jamie Block, Arthur Meadowcroft, Man- Manson Lung, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Sam Waldo, Evan Limberger, Katie Cole, Mitch Trafford, and yours truly, Jimmy Wong.
3: All right, everybody. Thanks for watching.
2: See you next time.
4: Peace.
0: Your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to Commandcast
1: at RocketJump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF one and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>